This is Anna Maria Phelps from Violet Daisy Games, wishing you congratulations on your 100th episode. Hey everybody, it's Brian from Brains on Games, and I just wanted to congratulate Scott and Patrick on making it to 100 episodes. Keep up the good work, guys. Hey Scott and Patrick, this is Stephen Brown at Brown Castle Games. I wanted to congratulate you guys on your 100th episode at the Level Up Podcast. Keep on flicking. Hey, what's up, everybody at Level Up Podcast? This is Cody at Far Off Games. Just want to say congratulations on 100 episodes. Well done. Hi, guys. This is Maddie, one of the co-designers of Solar 175. I just wanted to say a massive congratulations to Level Up for 100 awesome episodes. 100? That's amazing, guys. Congratulations from First Fish Games. This is Richard from Genders Gaming, just wanting to congratulate you on your epic accomplishment. A hundred shows, guys, that is awesome. You should be proud. Congratulations. Hey, this is Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and I just wanted to congratulate the Level Up Board Game Podcast for episode 100. 100 episodes of anything is an incredible accomplishment, incredible consistency, and in this case, it's a really quality podcast. I am a listener, and I support Patrick and the crew over at Level Up Game Podcast. Keep up the great work. I hope there's another 100, maybe 200, maybe 300 episodes to go, but for now, congratulations on episode 100. Daniel here from Tabletop for One, congratulating Patrick and Scott from Level Up Podcast for their 100th episode. Hello, adventurers! We are Randy and Miranda from Legends of Nirvana, and we just wanted to wish our compatriots at Level Up Games congratulations for reaching the level of 100 podcasts. So this is super excited for Patrick and Scott that they've reached the 100 episodes, and I'm excited to see what their next 100 episodes look like. Catch you guys later. Bye! Bye. Hello everyone, and Patrick and Scott. This is Stella from Meeple University. Just wanted to say congrats on the 100th episodes, guys. Hey, Patrick and Scott, this is Court from Cosmos. And I wanted to give you guys a big congratulations for over 100 episodes. Way to go. Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for episode 100 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast! 100 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast! This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here! King, we did it! It's episode 100! I would, with lame bets, that we would make maybe 1% of 100 episodes. I never <laughs> thought we would actually make it to 100. I, I thought for sure something would come up and then we would lose uh, steam behind it. But no, it has been an absolute blast. Yeah, this is 100. This is awesome. So episode 100, we're going to do things a little bit differently, but we're going to start it off like we normally do with uh, some of the banter, some of the stuff that, uh, that we've noticed coming out, coming up. Then for this entire episode, no review game today. We're going to be doing our personal top 10 board games of all time. Something we've put up. You know what? I feel like every other podcast, every other YouTube channel, that's one of their first five episodes. It's easy to make. Here's my top 10. 
Mm. No, we, we waited. Hopefully it's all calibrated. Adventures, you know what I like, you know what Scott likes, and this will be that like, oh, you know what? Let me hear what his what his favorites are. I'm excited for this, Scott. Yeah, this is one of those things where people usually do that early on so people can get a, a feel for what the hosts like and what they do. We're like, and no, 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 we're going to do it our own way. So yes, this is going to be cool. I don't know. I, I think I might have some surprises for you here. And uh, I can't wait to mix and match them here and see our top tens. Have you looked at my list? I glanced at it. Yes, I did. Okay, okay. So I I hope that maybe you you found a surprise or two on. I think you know me well enough to know a handful of them. Adventures probably know a handful of them. But uh, oh, I'm excited to to share some of the things that (laughs) there's a couple on there that we've never even talked about on the show. I know, I know, definitely. So this will uh, hopefully this will be a way of getting out what we really like, really kind of seal the deal on what our personalities are, what games we really get drawn to and hopefully give us some uh, fodder to talk about games in the future for the next 100 episodes. Now, before we get into the meat of things, Scott, last week, Adventures, if you didn't listen to last week, Ryan joined me and we did our Origins recap. Scott, I know you spent a lot of time over with Berkey, but I wanted you to take a couple minutes and and just recap your Origins. You and I, you know, surprisingly, I think people think, oh, Pat and Scott would be hang- hanging out the whole time. I think I saw more <laughs> of, I know I saw more of Ryan. I'm pretty sure I hung out with Will. More. I mean, you yeah. were working. You, you were you were here, there. You and Emil were chilling. Tell us, how was your origins? Well, origins once again was great. I didn't go for the longest time. I never went, and then all of a sudden I went, and it was a good time. I had a great time. Then I went again, and it's like, hey, there's something to this. And then again and again, I don't even remember how many origins I've been to now. And now it's one of those things where I feel the year isn't complete if I don't make it to origins. Mm. It's just. An absolute blast to get together, see a bunch of people you don't normally see all the time, or you see through Zoom or Google Meets or whatever. Uh, yes, I was working a lot with Berkey and everything, having a great time there. Absolutely great time. Um, we went out one night to a Kickstarter special event that they were having, the Kickstarter was having. Berkey and I were just kind of like, oh, okay, do you want to get a drink and smoke a cigar? Yeah, let's do that. And it ended up like two hours of him and I just sitting back and smoking cigars and just chatting, hearing about all the new stuff he has coming out, the new mats coming out for the game toppers. The guy is just putting the hook in my mouth, trying to take more money out of my wallet. I swear to God, the new mats are going to be absolutely awesome. But whenever I was there, I didn't play that many games. The thing that I always look for so much more is getting a chance to chat with people and see people I don't normally see. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see the Secret Cabal guys. I hung out with them. You said about Emil, my fraternity brother, Deal. He and I spent a little bit of time together. And Will and Bernie, Tate Wu. I mean, that is going to be one of my favorite names of all time now. Tate I was gonna say, Wu. No one just calls him Tate. He's Tate Wu. Yeah. <laughs> Got to say the whole name. <laughs> it was busy, but it was so much fun. Lots of laughs, lots of getting to see people passing out our little, I just leveled up things for on your lanyard. And little banner People badge. lit up. It was so much fun. And it was one of those things where I felt like, oh my God, we're an actual podcast now. Eh, kind of. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done a hundred anyway. 
Yeah, but it, it was a great time. I already looked at the dates for next year. I'm calibrating when I need to call in, make reservations, get everything set for next year. So, yes, I know that we will definitely be back at Origins. Me, uh, actually, niche for sure. You, I mean, you have those, like, weddings that pop up and all these things that pop up all the time. So, we'll have to wait and see what comes up with your schedule. Well, I plan on it. I was planning on Gen Con this year, too. But uh, but a wedding came up and a good friend of mine from back in the wait and table days. You know Ooh. what I find, come to find? People that you wait tables with are friends for life because they've seen you at your best and they have seen you at your very worst. <laughs> uh, you build a bond doing that. It's like brothers in arms. Uh, he's getting married. So, we're going to do that wedding. And it just so happens to be right smack dab in the middle of Gen Con. I wouldn't miss out on this for for most things. It would take something pretty yeah. severe and Gen Con does not qualify. Scott, let's talk about some of the cool things we got coming up. I recently reached out to Starling Games, uh, namely Tabletop Tycoon, who they we had the promo code with Tabletop Tycoon. They provided us the the expansion for Everdell. Oh, yes. Everdell? Everdell. Everdell. Yeah, so I reached out to them. They've got Everdell Far Shore. Uh, this, this is coming out later on this year. I don't know if it's meant to be a Gen Con release or what, but it's basically a standalone game. Okay, here let's let's go straight from BGG. The okay. Forever Sea. The Forever Sea. That's that's corny. The Forever yeah. Sea is calling. <laughs> The rugged coast north of Everdell Valley is a land brimming with adventure and mystery. Stalwart sailors search for bountiful islands and valuable treasures. Dutiful monks inhabit abbeys and scritoriums, meticulously translating the illuminating... Are they just picking hard words here? I think so. <laughs> it's hard to read. Hardworking folk gather resources and build their cities in unison with the ever-changing waves of the mighty ocean. Welcome to Everdell Far Shore. Uh, you know what? I love Everdell. I'm not going to go any further on that. I haven't looked into the game. I'm hoping that they provide us a copy so that we can do a full-fledged review. But right now, I'm like, mm, I really want them to send this to us because it looks... You know what? I don't want to say like, oh, it looks cool. It looks so new and innovative. It looks like an Everdell clone. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that's what it is, but that's what right. it looks like. And to me, that's probably a good thing. I'm okay with more Everdale. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, they've really kind of cornered the market on that big uh, tableau building thing with the cutesy little animals. I mean, that game has just really taken on a life of its own. But it's not one of those ones that you hear like everyone's charging at. Oh, my God, let's play Everdell. Let's play Everdell. But Everdell is one of those ones that if someone mentions you want to play Everdell, just about everybody you talk to will go, yeah, let's play it. It's really kind of hit the evergreen status where mm -hmm. it's it's one of those games that it's not in the zeitgeist of everyone that's talking about games right now, but it's one of those games that everyone will play on a moment's notice. Agreed, and I will join them, buddy. How about this one? Mordred coming soon to Kickstarter. This one from Simon. You'll be familiar with that name, Mordred, I bet. Oh, my, yes. I saw Mordred, and that just piqued my interest right away. I looked it up, and I'm like, remind me everything that I need to do about that game. Because, yeah, Arthurian Legends, I'm in. Looking into it, and it seems like it's going to be Merlin, Mordred, and Morgana, mm -hmm. which is going to make it kind of interesting that Arthur's really not a big character in this game. 
Or so it seems. Let's go right from Simon. Simon is happy to announce our new project, Mordred, is coming soon to Kickstarter. Art and concept by Adrian Smith, who did Hate, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, Ankh, sculpting from Studio McVeigh, and this brand new area control game designed by Alexio Schneeberger and Andrea Charvezio. Bless it you. brings a new twist on Arthurian legend. After the emerging of Britain and the Fey realm and the vanishing of King Arthur, various factions, both mortal and Fey, now fight for power. Each will control one of these asymmetrical factions. They'll strive to earn the favor of the three great leaders, Mordred, Morgana, and Merlin, as you said, but they must use the rounds available wisely as each action costs precious time. In the end, chaos will be inevitable and players must prepare for it. It will bring great peril, but also great reward. Boards. Stay tuned. So, you know what? There's pedigree here. I love the Adrian Smith artwork. Mm-hmm. I love Arthurian legend just like you do. I'm excited. Like, dude, this preview page, it shows uh, Merlin and Morja. It looks so oh, good. I it know. It looks cool. Yes, it, it definitely does. And anything where I can beat back the Fae, that makes me happy. <laughs> Scott, let's keep it rolling. Inaros Fallen coming back to Kickstarter. I talked about this one several months ago on the show. They did their Kickstarter. They were about halfway through. It looked like they were on track. They went ahead and canceled. They're like, no, nah, we're going to regroup. I think we can do this better. They are going to be relaunch- relaunching here, I think, in about a month or so. And finally, we've got a ton of Gloomhaven in the news. I know. Okay. The RPG campaign, yeah, that, that Kickstarter's been live or GameFounder, wherever the heck they're doing their thing. The RPG also has the option of adding Frosthaven or Gloomhaven or getting all the minis for the game, which includes all the minis that you're going to need to be able to play your Gloomhaven. Dude, you know what this thing costs with all those miniatures? Oh, I, I, I don't even want to think what it costs. $550 getting all the minis. Can you imagine Ooh. that? That would be the most blinged out Gloomhaven ever. Yeah, yeah, that that would be. And also, that's a mortgage payment for some people. <laughs> we got Gloomhaven coming to the Nintendo Switch. I mean, any way to draw people into hobby gaming, do it. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And quite frankly, I think Gloomhaven's a better game digitally anyway. Uh, my personal opinion. Like, it, you remove all of that upkeep and all of the card flipping. Right, and yes. The, you know, putting the little blood tokens on guys to show who's damaged, making sure you're on the right number. Mm, you get rid of all that, just go digital. I love it that way. Mm-hmm. Finally, Gloomhaven buttons and bugs. A small-scale solo Gloomhaven game announced mm-hmm. and available. What do you think of that one? That one there definitely piqued my interest. I saw that. I didn't – well, Adventures, one thing, a little peek behind the uh, curtain here. This past week, I've been in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful. More on that to come later on, but very, very scattered cell service. So, very little Wi-Fi at times. So, oh. I haven't had a chance to really look at things, but I did see that blink up, and I'm like, whoa, solo game? I'm in. And then it's like, no connection available. And it's like, well, okay. Well, I'm not going to be looking that up. <laughs> well, I'll be keeping my eye on it. I am intrigued. Uh, small-scale Gloomhaven, ideally, if it plays a little bit quicker and I can play it by myself, that's all the better. Before we get into our top 10, Scott, I've been watching a show on the Netflix with my wife. We She came- oh, Wait, 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 wait. On the Netflix? It's the Netflix, much like it's the Facebook. It's only appropriate whenever you put a the in front of it. (laughs) Okay, okay. So tell me about the Netflix. Wait, 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 what do you call it? Netflix. 
My buddy Jeremy was like, dude, you got to watch this show. It's called I Think You Should Leave. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. Comedy is like, you will bust your gut. I think I know you well enough to know that you're going to find this hilarious. I start watching it and uh, within like two minutes, my wife was, my wife's like, turn it off. I don't want to listen to this guy yell. And I could just tell this probably isn't my style. I'm going to give it a try. Now, she's on the road. So, I'm going to try it on my own. I Think You Should Leave did not make the cut. But my wife turned on the story of the American Gladiators, oh, like the yes, show yes. from 1989 through 90 something. Mm-hmm. And we're it's only five episodes. It's a mini series, but like it's Nitro and Ice and Blaze and all the old Gladiators uh, with Gemini's on there. They're all like they rounded <laughs> them all up and they're telling their stories all these years later. It is fascinating. I, I get to finish it tonight. Chris Chris went on the road. I was like, look, I'm going to do episode five while you're gone. She's like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, so I'm looking forward to that when we're, uh, <laughs> when we're all done recording. You know what I'm doing tonight. American Gladiators on the Netflix. It is captivating. I, I want to see that. And yes, the uh, I think you should leave. It does tickle my funny bone. And yes, my wife is the same way that she gets up and she's like, oh, you're watching that. I will leave now. <laughs> You know what? I'll, I'll give it another chance. While she's on the road, I'll give it another try because we literally made it halfway through the first skit. And I was like, oh, I don't know about this. This isn't exactly funny. And my wife's like, turn this off. <laughs> All right, Scott. Without okay. further dudes, it's time. All right. Let's do this. And to do this, we need to first chat a little bit about top 10 lists in general and how we developed our own. I'm just going to go ahead and – now, that's the extent of our notes. I noticed neither of us added there, but I just said banter a little bit about top 10s <laughs> and top 10 lists. And we don't normally do this. And part of the no. reason is that like I feel like while well, we were new on the scene, you know, if I, if I list the 10 games I've played, people don't know what I haven't played. I have a friend, for example, you know Kyle. Kyle who oh, loves yeah. – he loves Munchkin, yes, but his favorite game is A Feast for Odin. All right? Mm-hmm. Excellent game, right? I don't right. know. I've never played it. It's like his number either. one game. I've never played it. So, it is noticeably not on my list. Maybe, to me, that's the best game ever and I just don't know it. So, I've never wanted to do top 10 lists because it's like, well, okay, that's great. But if unless you're Tom Bassel, who literally apparently plays everything, <laughs> your audience doesn't know what you've played and haven't played. So, if you love something and I'm sitting in the car going, oh, wow, I can't believe you said that instead of, I, I don't know, Dune Imperium. Well, I might not know that the guy hasn't actually played it. So, yeah, that's been uh, one of the reasons that we haven't done top tens before. And I know my list, when I was creating it, I was like, okay, this isn't necessarily the top 10. Like when we look at the Board Game Geek top 10, that's kind of a... It's kind of a specific list in that it is hobby game specific. It favors strategy heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some examples like I'll say no thanks is not in my top 10. Right. It didn't feel grandiose enough. I think I play that more than any other game in person. And I take it everywhere. I took it to our 4th of July party with the lobsters. Uh, it was it was what we played. I could play it with casuals, heavy gamers. It's, you name it. I love that game. And it, it's a great game. It should be. It's a top 10 worthy type of game. Oh, sure. But it's not grandiose. It's not epic. It's not like top 10, right? It's not one of those ones where whenever you're done playing it, you push back from the table, you like undo the top button of your pants, like you just had a big dinner, like, wow, that was good. Don't go out to a restaurant with Scott. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's one of those ones where it's just like, oh, that was a nice appetizer. Uh, Check, please. Let's go. 
And that's all it is. It's just a quick little filler game. And no, I agree with you completely on that, that it's just something that, yes, it is a great game. It draws people in, but it's not one of those ones that I feel fits in as being a top 10 kind of game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that was a factor when when I was making my list. I, nostalgia was a bit of a factor. Games that maybe got me into it might have played a role, but uh, my list it, it's definitely like right now. This is my top ten. And we should point that out too. Right now, that's a factor because the my top ten. Like if I wrote this up three months ago, there'd be a few changes. Oh well. Mine, I think I look back at games that I've played over time, and actually, I just changed one right now whenever I just, like, lean back. I was like, oh, there's that game there. Yeah, that that deserves to be in there. That's how much thought Scott put into this. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Trust me. I really put a lot of thought into this uh, list <laughs> good, here. Good, good, Because there are ones on here that I think are going to really surprise you. Okay, well, how about we start off with honorable mention? Do you want to uh, – who's going to go first and who's going to get the last game? Because whoever goes second gets the, the last say in everything. Well, I think you should get the last say since you were the person who really lit the match for this whole thing here. Okay. So, you should get the last word. Then we'll start with honorable mention and I want to hear what's your honorable mention? Honorable mention. This one's the easiest one I had to pick. Out of my top 10, I I put in an honorable mention, not even knowing if we're going to have an honorable mention, but I put it in here because it was going to be that simple. Euchre. Oh, period. of course. Of Done. Course. Yep. If anyone says, hey, you want to euke? I will be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> I challenge the adventurers, if we're at a convention and you have people that play euchre and you need somebody, if you yell in the hall, who wants to euch? If I hear it, I will track you down and find you and I will be in that game, guaranteed. So why is it an honorable mention then? How come it's not in the top 10? Well, I didn't think that it really fit in as like a hobby game. This is one of those games where kids put in like 500 rummy or Poker, with, sure. um, yeah. And I didn't think that it really fit in with what we look at as a hobby game, but it's one that I absolutely adore. I will play it anytime, anywhere. I've played it on a bench in a creek in the middle of summer. <laughs> I would not play it in a car. I would not play it near and far. <laughs> but uh, but yes, absolutely adore it. But I didn't think that it really fit the criteria of what the top 10 game list should be. Fair enough. Okay, so your honorable mention. I'm going to go a little bit longer because I got a lot to say about my honorable mention. And that is Magic the Gathering. Oh, Okay. Scott, this is where it all, for the most part, began as far as getting hooked into the culture of the nerd, right? This sure. is a game that – it was basically the only game that I played for the better part of 30 years. Like, there's mm -hmm. a Stray Catan, Carcassonne, that sort of thing, but Magic was where my brain was at. High school would be done for the day. We'd walk up to the shop in town, play Magic for an hour before going home. Over time, 
I found that the love of playing the game actually turned into the love of buying and selling, starting small scale and eventually mm-hmm. turning into things like uh, holding bulk rares until they went up in value. Or <laughs> I tried to get 1% of the entire print run of Serendib Jin. All right. There's an old set for those that aren't aware. It's called Arabian Nights. And Serendib Efreet was the better card. But Serendib Jin was really cool too. And there were 20,500 copies originally printed. So I was like, okay, so I need 205 and I'll have right. 1%. And you figured the number's got to be better than 1% anyway because – it's a 30-year-old game. Like, sure. Some of them have to have been destroyed in house fires and Hurricane Katrina and lost to angry moms, that sort of thing. So, I, <laughs> I figure I'll still go for the 205, but it's probably more than more than 1%. And I, I came really close. I would buy every copy I could get on eBay. This was around like 2005. If mm-hmm. I could find one for under 15 bucks, uh, I would buy it. And the going rate was like 15, 20 bucks. And then right. eventually you couldn't get them on eBay anymore. I think part of it was the natural like price goes up and also the fact that there was one guy that's buying every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Right, get. right. So I feel like I was shifting the market. So I was like, all right, I'll buy I'll buy the ones that are between 15 and 20. All right, I'll buy the ones that are up to 25, right? And now we're going over 10 years now. I'm, wow. I finished. When I stopped, right, Magic had – there were a couple noticeable bumps and I don't remember the years, but somewhere around like – 20, we'll say 13 and 2018. I think uh, when they came out with the legacy format, that was a big part of it because you could still play duels. And there were a lot of cards in legacy that were uh, that, that were really strong and they were going up in value. And suddenly it was like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me I can trade these cards from like Tempest and I can get those old, <laughs> old cards? And it took a while, but yes, you could. It took a while. The old cards went up. To, to accommodate and adjust, right? Serendipogen eventually, like, it bumped to 50 overnight. And I was like, oh, man, I, I – Wow. I just, so, I would buy them for, like, if they were – if I could find one at 30, 35. And then eventually, it bumped to 100. And I was like, well, oh. I think I'm out. But good news, <laughs> I had 186 copies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to talk about the buying and selling being fun? One time I conned, you know, Jeremy, uh, one of the last, yeah. I conned him into going and picking up magic cards with me, but I did not tell him that it involved a U-Haul. <laughs> 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 and we were on the way back with literally a half million bulk commons and uncommons that lived in my basement for the better part of a year. And I'm sure my wife loved me for wow. having them. Oh, yeah. Talk about increasing your value as a spouse. Okay, so I don't have time for magic anymore. And for that matter, uh, let me yell at the clouds here. The game kind of lacks a certain charm that I fell in love with in the Mm -hmm. 90s. It's still a game that I would identify as like the game that shaped me as a gamer today. I still like the game mechanically, but as far as like the lore behind it, the the dust off the old box in the basement, here's these spells. It's not that anymore. It's kind of like e-gamer or whatever they, you know, whatever the video game kids, esports. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like esports, you know. It, it's 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 flash and pro circuits and whatnot. And uh, I don't know. I didn't include it in my top ten for basically two reasons. One, magic players are just that. They're magic players. They're not board gamers yeah. who play magic. It is a lifestyle game that I think probably doesn't quite belong in the list of best board games, right? Mm-hmm. And two, I just don't play it anymore, and not even a little bit. I have three magic cards left, and they're the My Little Pony cards that came in that special promo <laughs> thing. It was when Sarah was all about My Little Pony. I was like, well, I have to own that. It's like the the perfect combination of what I love and what Sarah uh, – what, what she loves, right? Right. Um, for those reasons though, I don't play it uh, and it's not like super board gamey. It's just not a top 10 game for me uh, anymore. Now, is this a game where if someone said, hey, 
we're going to do a draft. Uh, we need one more person. Would you jump in that and do a draft just for fun sakes of it? If it was if it was casual, sure. Like if it was just like the lobsters, like they learned how to play a few months ago and it was just a casual thing like, uh-huh. you know, okay, that's fine. Here's another reason, why, maybe another reason why it doesn't make the list or why I don't play it is I didn't play magic to have fun. I, mm. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. I didn't play to have fun. I played to win. Uh, right. I wasn't I wasn't coming to uh, to Friday Night Magic and doing three drafts because I wanted to break even or or have you know have a jolly time which I did you know I still hang out with oh, Brett sure. and the guys from the shop so you know I made a lot of a lot of friends playing the game but I was playing the game because I wanted to win if there was a group and they just needed one more player for a draft if they were even remotely competitive or cutthroat you know sharks in the water right you know I'm used to being that shark. No, <laughs> humble brag. I, I I was never pro, but I top eighted several times and and it came in ninth. Ninth. I went to um oh geez, what was it? The Nationals qualifiers is in two thousand one, and I was playing Affinity. I drew one Disciple of the Vault. My opponent drew two in game three, and that guy actually is uh I think his name is uh, Vanderbilt Aaron whatever his name is. He's gone on to design a board game. I should look that one up. Oh wow. Um, but I, I've been very competitive with Magic, and if I didn't feel like I was sitting down and going to win, it'd be like, well, what am I doing this for? Oh, <laughs> Which okay. sounds terrible. That sounds <laughs> awful. I sound like a terrible person. But that that's honestly, that's part of the magic culture. You know, that that's it attracts yeah. a lot of those types of players who I think while that's fun in the game, it's also a big, big turnoff for a lot of people who might otherwise enjoy it. I agree with you on that because I think that's one of the main things that I dabble in it. Like, I'll pick up, like, we were in South Dakota, and they had these things where you pick up two packs, and there were, like, two 15-card decks in each one of them of different colors. You mix them together and just play. Boom. That's it. And I pick it up with the idea that, yeah, maybe my wife and I will play it at some point in time, knowing that it probably won't happen. But it's just like dipping my toe back in to see what the new stuff is or see if there's anything there. Uh, But yeah, I've never really been a magic player per se, but I think that you're right that there was that golden era where people would play this and there was like that story of what was going on and you actually felt like you were that wizard on the other side casting those spells mm-hmm. and now then it's just like you're that guy on Friday night trying to win the game that's it right right all right well honorable mentions out of the way here's what we're going to do we're going to do uh 10 and 9 then we're going to take a little break we're, we've got some contributor audio that we want to play oh, okay. uh, there's some questions for us too yeah yeah looking forward to answering some of the questions that our uh, our wonderful contributors have for us but let's kick things off number 10 scott all right so my number 10 is a game that was designed by antoine balza seven wonders uh mm-hmm. seven wonders came out in 2010 And this was a game that gave you such a big, deep feeling game, at least for me, in such a short period of time. I mean, you can play this whole, like, a light civilization game, it's quotes around that, in 30 minutes, get done and think, hmm, I want to try another strategy. Let's set this up again. You set it up in five minutes and you redo it. You've got the seven wonders of the ancient world and you're drafting cards and you're drafting cards and you have to decide, do I want to do things where I'm going to 
be like the marketplace for people to pay me to get my resources? Or do I want to get the ones where I can buy things from people cheaper? Or do I want to go after the sciences? Or you know what? I'm going to go after the statues and everything and really bling out my empire. There's so many different things you can do in this. And the great thing about it is it takes 30 minutes to play. If it doesn't work out, set it up again. Yeah. You play three rounds, three different ages. Each one you have to plan in advance, like get your military ready, figure out how much money you're going to have, figure out what resources you have, all these things that go on. And this is one of those games where I've taught it to people. And whenever they play it, they're like, oh, God, I, I'm never going to get this. I, I can't understand this thing. At the end of the game, they're like, can we set this up and play it again? Yeah, there's a lot of upfront iconography to, yes. to grasp, I guess, when you're playing that one. And it's an interesting one that you can play up to seven people. Not that many like strategy games really fit seven people. You're kind of right walking that line of party game or board game. Mm-hmm. And they tow that line so well. That's why Seven Wonders is my number 10. Scott, my number 10 is a bit of a layup. I went okay. with Gloom. I went with Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's my number 10, and okay. most folks are aware of this one from Isaac Childress, the Euro-ish card play dungeon crawler with some 95 missions in the base box, characters that progress through adding new cards to their deck, treasures to be found, elements to add power to your cards, a means of enhancing your cards with stickers for upgrades. Gloomhaven doesn't need me to endorse it as it held the number one spot on BGG for like half a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I did a bit of Jaws of the Line together. We had a really good time with that one. Unfortunately, uh, you know what? We fell victim to the we're a podcast. We got to play the next thing. Uh, without that, I feel like we would have kept on going, maybe even uh, restarted with Tom because I was having a good time with it. Yeah. And, and it's one that you can get into and it feels like you're playing a role playing game, but not with a lot of the stuff that holds you down with all the books and all the rules and getting your group together. Now, granted, yeah, getting your group together was a tough thing there, but yeah, it was a good one. Now, I haven't played Mean Gloomhaven. You've played Mean Gloomhaven. Oh, all of it. So what do you think? Would you, if, if you had a choice of starting out again, would you just go with Jaws of the Lion and play something small and confined, or would you jump into Gloomhaven and just take it all on again? Oh, that's tricky. And here's the reason. On If it was on the table, I would just do Jaws of the Lion because it's a little bit more condensed. Scott, Gloomhaven didn't strike me as a top 10 game until I played the digital version on mm, Steam. That's okay. what makes your question so tricky. I'm telling you what, I downloaded that game and played it every hour I possibly could until I finished the base game and just... Just about every mission in it. Never mind the fact that you can play with something like a dozen characters, but each character has options for cards that you're adding to their deck at various times. And it sort of gives them like a skill tree where you can be specific within that character. Okay. It's not like it's not like your rock guy gets more powerful and he does everything that everybody else's rock guy does. You you can modify him to your right. liking. And and it matters, right? There are websites, there's fan pages that are devoted to the various ways that you can play each character based on the cards that you're using, the items you're equipping, that sort of thing like it's it's fantastic for that. Now I I will say to me it doesn't strike me as like, oh man, you know, role-playing game. If anything, I would say that's that's probably its weakest side is the story's kind of weak and you get a little dabble in between. Other than that, it's kind of like, okay, start the mission, play cards, beat the baddies. Start the mm-hmm. next mission, play cards, beat the baddies. Having said all that, this game shines or sh- uh, shown, shown, 
<laughs> you remember Shoney's? <laughs> oh, remember yes, we had a Shoney's yes. out? What does Shoney's still exist? Yes, there's one in West Virginia. I know whenever I worked at the West Virginia Renaissance Festival. Okay, so it doesn't exist anymore. It's Shoney's brightest for me as a digital game. Um, it, it was the ability to play a scenario with almost no setup, no maintenance, no accounting for damage tokens. Having it all done for me? Yeah, just let me play this game straight up. It's wonderful. You, you'll recall I got Frosthaven. I went about four or five missions in and mm-hmm. I was like, man, what am I doing? I am <laughs> I am mortal. <laughs> I am someday going to die. Yep. And, and I was spending a lot of time sliding cards into those holders and putting uh, tokens on. I was like, you know what? I just, I just don't have it in me. Mm-hmm. But digital, when it comes out digital, you better believe I'm getting it. Okay. Okay. So my number ten good. is Gloomhaven. What you got at number nine? All right. Well, number nine. Once again, we're kind of going with a light civilization game, and this one was introduced to me, I believe, by you, and Aww. that was Tapestry from yeah. 2019. And this was one that I know whenever it first came out, a lot of people thought it was going to be a real heavy civilization game. And it didn't really scratch the itch that they wanted. But then over time, it's just kind of like grown into its own thing, its own version of a civilization game, where you have the four different tracks you go along, or the fifth one now with the uh, one of the expansions. And you go along, and it's... You really kind of look at it like, do I want to just go on this one here? Do I want to do a little bit of everything? You need to really focus on what you're going to do. Yeah. I mean, it. the artwork is great. It's kind of light looking in a way at sometimes, kind of cartoonish at times. But the decisions you have to make will really affect your overall gameplay throughout the game. So you really have to be careful on it. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what a satisfying game. When you take an action that triggers an action, that triggers an attack, that topples the tower, like, boy, that game's got a build up and a payoff. It most certainly does. And it's one that each time that I've played it, each time I play it, I feel like I'm playing it for the very first time. Yeah. Because there's so many different, like in chess, you have those first moves that you do. Mm-hmm. But this one here, you make that first move and you're like, all right, the roller coaster ride has started. Yeah, poor, off Let's and running. Let's see where it's going to go, where it's going to take us. You really have to fly by the seat of your pants and let the game take you where it goes. You really don't know how you're going to play that game until you actually play it. And it unfolds, for me at least, it unfolds before me as I play. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy Tapestry. It's interesting that you put it that way. You're right. You can't sit down with a strategy like, I'm going to be the military guy. No, you got to see what your civs are to choose from, what your mat looks like. You got to see what your opening tapestries are. Like you do, it is kind of like fly by the seat of your pants. Like, okay, what are my options now? Where do I take what I've been given? And, and and that is part of the fun of tapestry, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the best way I can really say it. It just it unfolds before you each time you play it. Just like you're unrolling, oh, I don't know, a tapestry. Oh <laughs> very good. Are you done? <laughs> I'm done. Scott, my number nine is Wonderland's War. I suppose this makes it here. It's a bit of a surprise. This is relatively new. And of all of the games in my top 10, it's the one that I've probably played the fewest times at at not even half a dozen, I don't think. But it does a few things right for me. First, you've got the asymmetry of the characters and their evolution throughout play. It's a decision that the players get to make. And you can switch it up next game. I like that. 
Next, that first half of a round where you're at the tea party, that rondellish selection process, Mm -hmm. that gives everyone there several very important decisions to make. Uh, And I like when a game gives me the chance to shape my play, right? I want to feel like I have control. Then you get into the second phase of the game, resolving the conflicts in each of the five regions on the board. And it's done by pulling the power chips out of the bag, much like Orleone or Quacks of Quedlinburg. Obviously, you want to win fights that you're a part of, but you have to weigh the number of followers you still have in the region versus the likelihood of winning, plus whether or not you can – you remember there's those forge spots. Like, okay, I I might be able to win this. I give myself 50-50, but I'm on a forge spot and I have a forge ship, so I could double – oh, maybe – It's not as simple as who pulls the most power out of their bag. And sometimes you get those upgraded chips. Oh, the Wonderlandians. This takes the game from being pretty good into my top 10. Uh, Mm. I think that in any given game, you're going to see some combination of Wonderlandian cards that offer a gigantic variety of things that are going to shake up that standard rule set. Some of them add chips to your bag. Some add minis to the board. But all of them do something unique that no one else can do. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. Chips are chunky. In the upgrade version, anyway, the chips are nice and chunky. The miniatures are well done. I think I'm, I still haven't started painting them ever since I picked <laughs> up. Uh, oh, geez, Scott, you should see I got all the terrain done for, uh, for not Reichbusters. What's the uh, Wolfenstein? Wolfenstein. Oh, We're going to okay. show that one off. It, uh, I had all the terrain done and ready and it's looking sharp. Now I have to paint some 90 miniatures and I've got two months to do it and a wife that will not want me in the basement painting all night. <laughs> So whether or not Wonderland's War stays in my top 10, I suppose it remains to be seen. I did back the Shards of Madness expansion, so if the base game ever starts to feel like it's getting stale, I've got some newness ammo at the ready, and I'm looking forward to playing this one a lot more in the coming years. I enjoyed it, but it didn't grab me as much as it did you. And I know you've talked about this game so much since you Mm -hmm. played it, and it really struck a chord with you. We'll have to pull it out again here and play it again just to see if... I missed something on it, or if this is just a Patrick game. Well, Scott, let's take a little break here. Let's get some coffee. Let's let the adventures hear from our very own hungry gamer, Will Brown. So, fun fact, just Patrick actually stands for just a little bit of a diva. Because here I am standing outside in an alley in Chicago at night trying to record this because... I'm not at home right now, and the first time the sound just wasn't good enough for just a little bit of a Diva Patrick. So, here we are. So, now the question is, what is my favorite game? And that's really a hard question to answer because context matters, right? Who am I playing with? What kind of game am I, are we talking about, right? Are we talking about a dungeon crawl? Are we talking about something competitive? What's going on? But, to do my best... To answer the question, I'm going to try to come up with something that I feel like I could play with any of my groups. My dungeon crawl group, I could play this with them. They'd had fun. My Twilight Imperium group, just kidding. That's never going to happen. Never playing that. Sorry, Patrick. Not sorry, Patrick. So what I'm going to say is, I'm going to say Mysterium is going to be my choice. And that's because it's a game that brought me into the hobby And this is a game that I can play with any type of group. People who don't game at all can play this and enjoy it. Heavier gamers can still enjoy it. And so it's one that I feel like pretty much can't miss on almost any type of group, any type of event that I may be having. There you have it. Hopefully I get out of this alley in one piece. And if I don't, you can blame 
just a little bit of a diva, Patrick. Happy 100, guys. You know, for being the most professional of all of us, like you and I included, as far mm-hmm. as like recording and whatnot does uh, goes, man, <laughs> that sounded like heck, Will. Come on. For being our favorite contributor, the best contributor on the show, that audio is terrible. But thank you. We appreciate you. Will, I... <laughs> There are times that I, I, I think about our friendship. And, and, <laughs> oh, and, no. And I think, where is this friendship going? And I mean, on one point, it's kind of fun because I have no idea where it's going. On the other hand, I have no idea where it's going. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so let's get let's get to these questions he's got. You know, you know what? If it wasn't for Will, I wouldn't have met Bernie. And if it wasn't for meeting Bernie, I wouldn't know the Chinese tongue twister. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I tried. You may have offended somebody there. No, no. You got to look it up. It's actually a, a it's a riddle. So Will oh, no, wants to I, know. I offended him with the ma, 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 ma. <laughs> Will wants to know who would win in a sword fight, Scott versus Patrick. I know my answer. I, Scott, I think you got this one because of your Renaissance Festival experience. And I've done fencing in the past a little bit so um i think uh i might have the the leg up on you you've got more skill with the blade i'll give you the sword fight next up basketball i'm taking that one-on-one basketball i you know what i am not good at basketball but i'm sure i i could beat you at basketball buddy you're you're (laughs) you're not good better than i am Well That's put. an adventure. Sit down well and write put. that one out there and try and figure out what I just said. You know what? You know what's going to be one of the, the big differentiating factors is how big is the court? Like if it's make it, take it and you score and you got to run the ball back, like do you got to go to midcourt? Because I feel like I got you after, oh, after you, you some number of minutes. <laughs> you got me. You got me. Definitely. Jello wrestling. You versus me one-on-one. Uh, well, I, I think it's probably going to be – the weight differential here, I might have a leg up on you. You've got the weight, but I picture a mountain versus viper scenario. <laughs> the sand viper and the mountain. Oh, you know what? I guess the viper can't – I can't get all like quick on you because we're in jello and I'll yeah. fall. And then you could just you could just lay an elbow on my back and, and I'd probably be uh, – I'd be done. God. Okay. I wrote down toss-up question mark, but you've convinced me. Okay, okay. Next thumb one's a layup. War. Yeah, I, th- I think you got the thumb war, no doubt. You have bigger hands. I don't have very big hands. Okay, well, here's another little peek here. All right. How serious my wife and I take our marriage. We're sitting there. <laughs> we're kneeling at the altar as the priest is going through all the special things with our marriage. We're the vows. Hands. They're called vows. We're holding hands. <laughs> And as soon as we held hands, the first thing that happened was, one, two, three, four, I challenge you to a thumb war. And we're thumb wrestling as he's going through our vows. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, I got you on the thumb war. I definitely got you on that. I don't recall shaking your hand. I'm sure we've shaken hands several times. But you ever shake someone's hand and it's like they have a goal of breaking your wrist? Like, yes. You know, the oh, you need a good firm handshake. Yes, that's right. But if you're one of those people out there that you squeeze my hand like you're trying to break it, that's not a good firm handshake. <laughs> you're trying to exert <laughs> your dominance. There you go. You're trying to exert your dominance and that's not okay. That's uh, – no, a good firm handshake is – you know, a, a good squeeze, you know, maybe a two pump, maybe three pumps, and that's it. Then you let go. These people that like squeeze like they want to break you. Mm. 
Okay, we're getting off topic here. Okay. We are. No. Last one. Yeah, pie eating contest. Scott, I can eat. You might not know. You wouldn't know it to look at me. I can eat. I can I'm eat not a so big much pie food. aficionado. Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. so you you've got the weight. You know, Scott is bigger than I am. Yeah. Um, neither of us are, are, I would say, small guys, but you know, you've got a little, you got a few pounds of me. So oh, I think I that do. like I definitely do surface level. You know, people will be like, oh, well, that's king. But I don't know. You're not a pie aficionado. I've never seen yeah. you like plow through food. And yeah. people at work, right? I work with four other people at the bank and they know if it is sitting in the break room, right? <laughs> if it's like the fair game food, it will be gone that day. That day. I don't yep. buy a package of Oreos to have one or two, right? I The, the whole row, that's a clip. I eat them by the clip. Girl Scout cookies. A box is a serving size, right? <laughs> I can pack sugar down. Like, I'm kind of scared. I can't believe I don't have diabetes. <laughs> You're our own Joey Chestnuts. <laughs> yes. Do you see he won again? They were going to cancel it because it was raining and he was like, well, we're doing this anyway, so you might as well keep the cameras out. <laughs> and I think he might have broken his record. I think he put away 76 hot dogs or something. Oh, God. I, oh, no, no, no. <sighs> you got well, me on that one there. So, I I, I think we kind of split it down the middle here. Yeah, as long as we'll call Jello Wrestling the toss-up. Yeah, I yeah, get to yeah, split. Yeah. That's a toss-up. Right. Okay. Well, we're both being kind to one another. Well, thank you so much for that. Thanks for being a an integral part of Level Up. We do appreciate that audio. Yes, yes, indeed, sir. Scott, let's get back to it. We're on number eight. What you got? All right. So, number eight, this was the one that I just pulled the audible here and put it back in my list because I actually played it at Origins a couple times. Oh. And that is Res Arcana from oh, Tom yeah. Lehman. And this is one that I remember picking up off the shelf from listening. Uh, I think it was Don on the Secret Cabal was going on about it. He loves it. Yeah, Don's game. always talking about this. He one. loves it. I played it with him two times at, at Origins. It's one of those ones that I don't pull out as often as I should. I never pull out. I, uh, whoo, <laughs> HR says no. Low-hanging fruit. But anyway, it's just such a great game. It is so small. Your decisions you have to make are so strategic because you only have eight cards. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you go through and you get a different magic item each turn that you go through all your cards or each time that you pass – But you have to be very careful. You know you have a very limited amount of decisions. Right. And you need to make that work to your benefit. It's not an overly long game. It doesn't overstay its welcome. You go through, you get resources. The resources are wonderful. I mean, this is a basic game. It's not like a Kickstarter upgrade or anything like that at all. Yeah, nothing in that box is exclusive. The wooden pieces that are cut out like skulls and flames and water, they're just enough to differentiate them, to make them really special. You choose a different magic item whenever you pass. Whenever you pass, well, you get the first player token and hey, guess what? You got an extra point there because you pass first. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where you need to figure out Do I want to pass first and get that extra point and possibly win? Or do I want to just push it a little bit further and see if I can get some other points? There's so many push your luck moments in this game. And 
push and pull. Are they going to play like really mean game against you? Or are they just playing that dragon out there just to get some other benefit out of that? Mm-hmm. And it's such a difficult game. You're constantly on edge whenever you're playing this game. But it is such a tremendous game here. Res Arcana definitely has to be in my top 10 list. Scott, you taught this one to me. Jeez. Three, oh, three or four God, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah sometime back. Old. And I remember thinking this game is exquisite. It's yes. so good. We talked about it way back. Get this episode 12 you were oh, talking geez. about. It. You were playing it again there at some, <laughs> at some point. But you showed it to me and I was like, this is a game that I could play over and over and over and just keep going. It's so well done. Uh, it could be a lifestyle game. Like I could play this weekly. It's on BGA. And oh, yes. we got back into it. Uh, I want to say you and Deal actually, uh, well, you and one other person and I played it and I had lost it. I just lost all recollection. I was like, <laughs> this is going to be my learning game uh, so that I can relearn how to play it. And it just didn't work out. But man, given the time, I could see that being the game that I play like three times a day on BGA. Until I played played, 300. uh, We played with the expansion, and the expansion doesn't overweight it with extra stuff that you don't really need. It -hmm. just gives that extra little, here we go with my food motifs again, that extra little shot of oregano or that extra little shot of salt that you need there just to make that the extra stuff you put in there mix so well with everything that's already there. So, yeah, Res Arcana is truly a classic. Good pick. Good pick. Scott, I went with Arc Nova for my number eight. Oh, really okay. original, I know. Okay, this came out within a year. It parked its fat zoo ass in the BGG top ten, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, I mean, that is insane, but it's for good reason. Interestingly, we've barely talked about it on the show over the year or so that it's been out because, and quite frankly, there's not much to add to the chorus of thousands of voices that are already singing its praises. Mm-hmm. Do you really need to tune in to us talking about how we played Ark Nova again? Yep, yep. If we're going to be contradictory or something, sure. You know, like, oh, this game isn't that good and here's why. But nope, we love it just as much as everyone else. I like it for the way that it can play differently each time. Mm-hmm. Um much like a lot of the other games with the giant deck of cards, Everdale, Wingspan, Terraforming Mars, Earth, the end goal is always the same, but the means to get there changes. I like that. This gives me a lot of decisions to make. It 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 forces me to have to weigh the value of various cards, timing when to take various oh, actions, yes, and yes. balancing it all against what other people are doing. Where are they at in the race for points, right? When the game finishes, win or lose, I feel like I got to create something. Uh, it's, you have that zoo mat like filled out in front of you with all these enclosures and a big old pile of animals and sponsors and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's satisfying. It's thematic. And I'm basically always down to play. So an easy pick at number eight was Ark Nova. Now, one thing with this game is that there's a lot of setup time to this. It is a long game and your points at the end are minute compared to the amount of time in setup and playing that you've done in this game. Mm-hmm. Do you think that negatively impacts this game at all, or is it all part Scott, of the it, big package? It's parked in the top 10 in one year. So, yep. no, I don't think it impacts it at all. I think it's absolutely worth it. And you know what? I think people have come up with clever wit. Like, they have the insert tray that, while it's not a flashy insert, it really gets the job done for just set it out, pop the top off, and you're basically good to go. Put some chips out. You got a lot of shuffling to do. 
God help you if that stack falls over. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> it's a game that you're always going to want someone at the table that knows how or has played before and can mm-hmm. facilitate yes. some of the, we'll say the, the accounting behind the scenes you know, and moving the river of cards and whatnot. Right. Um, which for us tends to be Jason, who usually beats us too. <laughs> <laughs> great game. Great game. My number eight is Ark Nova. What's your number seven? I seem to be going more of the cult of the old, and you're in more of the cult of the new. Well, you've been gaming for longer than I have. Uh, True, true, true. That's a factor. Well, my number seven came back in the old-timey days of 2000, designed by Klaus Jürgen Red, and that would be Carcassonne. This was one of the first games I ever played that got me into this hobby gaming. Mm-hmm. And the tile laying and figuring out, do you want to use your meeple as a thief? Or do you want to use it as a farmer? Oh, wait, maybe you can use it as a monk. A knight to go into the city to, to secure the city. There's so many things in this game other than just putting out tiles you have that limited number of meeples that you have to make those big decisions on. Like, do you want to just hurry up and get a couple points here? Or do you want to put it in the fields there as a farmer and let it go for the long haul and make and see if you can get a whole bunch of games? Mm-hmm. But everyone can see what you're doing, so they're going to do the same thing to you and screw over your game. It's one of those, I know people don't like to say it sometimes, gateway games that draws people in. That it's an easy sure. one to get an idea of tile laying, of laying out your meeples, of your worker placement, different things like that that you do. That's going to lead you to so many other games. So it's such a keystone to all the games that came after it. Even if you're playing it, you've played it 120 times, you're still going to sit there and look at that thing and think, what is the best way to line up this road that I can get the most points? And where is it going to go? And it's just such a a pleasant thinker. It's not one that you're sitting there like, oh, what am I going to do? This is a, a, a great palate cleanser. I'd like to say that palate cleanser thing here. Sure, sure. Where you play it and it just kind of like gets all those fiddly rules and all the bigger games, all the newer games that are coming out. You just want to go back to your roots and play something nice and sweet and easy. And this is a great one there. And it's one that I, I think everyone should have in their collection there. And that's Carcassonne. That is my number seven. So often with all of the new games coming out, like – like out of a fire hose. I, I heard something saying that every day, seven board game Kickstarters successfully wow. fund. You wouldn't know it because most no. of them are garbage, right? But there are games coming out like crazy. And it's amazing that something like Carcassonne just stands the test of time. I'll play it today and it holds up today. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like I'm playing some dated garbage. It's so good. I can play it with with hardcore gamers, right? I can play this with Steve and Mike or Brennan and Mike over at the cabin and they're going to have a blast playing. You know, like we're going to we're going to really sink our teeth into it. Or I can just play it with my wife. And she yeah. loves it every time. Mm-hmm. It's, what, a, what a game Carcassonne is. All those expansions too, it's never going to get old. You can always oh, say, yeah. you know, as well, we're going to mix in these two. Next time we're going to play with just this one. Uh, any of them but the catapult because it's entirely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So, your number seven. What do you have there, Mr. Patrick? For number seven, I have Beyond the Sun. Another oh, well, I new knew game. that was going to be somewhere. 
Uh, yeah, you figure Beyond the Sun's got a reputation as a tech tree game, but I like to think of it more as an action selection game with an expanding number of options as play progresses. Due to turn in this game is as simple as placing that little octagonal cylinder, siltag, placing your piece uh, in any action space and just carrying it out. But the implications behind what you do are so tremendous, and that's because of two things. One, the management of your player tableau, supplying you with those resources and people, both of which are needed and become increasingly necessary during the game, while also being something that you can easily over-acquire. You don't want too much of one or the other. Otherwise, you're just sitting with all those people. You can't because of the nature of how those little six-sided mm -hmm. uh, resource cubes work. Two, the area control on the planet board where you're going to be sending ships to control various planets, looking to terraform them into points and bonuses. Make no mistake – this is where the game is primarily played. Yes, unlocking tech is the hook of the game and you need to do it in order to win. And it's the fun thing and it's the cool thing. But it's the clever play on the planet's board, I think, that tends to win the game. Now, they have the expansion out uh, that I haven't had a chance to play yet. And I understand that it furthers the asymmetry between starting player powers, which admittedly in the base game was pretty simple. Mm -hmm. One resource difference or something stupid like that. But I'm looking forward to getting a hold of and incorporating that expansion in my game. We did this one way back in episode 16, and for Ooh. me, it holds up as one of the best that we've reviewed, and it's in my top 10 of all time. Yeah, that it, that's one that if someone walked past and looked at the table and was figuring <laughs> out what you're playing, they would think that you were a bunch of accounting nerds looking over like some sort of fiduciary papers or something like that. that Family show. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's one of those ones where you look at it and it, it's not a pretty game. Uh, no, it's not. It's basic, very bland. Yeah. bland. But yeah, it does pack a wall up in there and that game. And you do find yourself, I picture it in myself, in my mind, whenever I'm figuring out which one of the tech parts I want to take, which one's going to be better. Ooh, that one looks like it's going to be cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can see the explosions in your head, but all you see is white the background with black letters. That's it. It's a great game there. I, I, I approve it being your number seven. Hello there, Patrick. Hello there, Scott. And hello there, adventurers. Teacher Ryan here to talk about my number one favorite game of all time. Now, I've mentioned it loads before on the podcast, so I'm really, really happy to be able to share more about the game Rococo. This was a design first released in 2013 by Stefan Maltz, Louis Maltz, and Matthias Kramer. In this deck building, a area majority, action selection game, you are trying to become the most prestigious dress and coat maker and show off your garments at a lavish ball in hopes that the partygoers can't stop talking about your incredible designs. And that's not all. Your contributions to the ball itself, including donations towards music, stunning statues, and majestic fireworks, are a great way to guarantee that your reputation lasts forever. So now, the first thing that I loved about this game was how you chose your cards for the round. This is a deck-building game, yes, but instead of drawing the top X cards from your deck like most of them do, you actually look through your draw pile and you get to choose which three cards you want to play within the round. Now this is important because there are three, let's call them levels of cards. Now there are Copper Apprentice cards, 
silver journeyman cards, and gold master cards, okay? Now, each action you take in the game requires you to play a certain level of card or higher to go with it. You then execute the board action first and then the card action afterwards. So for example, if I wanted to tailor a garment, in other words, make a dress or a coat, well, the apprentice is not allowed to do that. So I'd have to play a journeyman card or a master card to be able to do that action. Let's say I play a master card in this case. Well, then I would have to spend my materials, maybe some money, to craft, let's say, this beautiful looking Drew blue dress that I saw in the display. I'll take that tile, and then I would have another choice to make. I could either sell this dress for money, which would load me up for the next few turns, so maybe that's lucrative, or maybe I'm just going to have someone who's going to the ball, you know, wear it. I would then choose which hall I want to place that person in, and then I would take one of my ownership tokens and put it with that dress so that, you know, everyone knew it was my dress. Now that was all just the board action. Now I can execute whatever action is on my card. Let's say it's an action where I get money based on how many blue and dresses that I have on the board. Well, I just made a blue one, so at least I know I'm getting some money from that. Either way, I'm not going to go over every action you can do in this game, but the point I'm trying to make about why this is my favorite game is that there is such an incredible amount of player agency in this game, some decision-making, tons of it, even enough player interaction where it feels competitive at the same time, and it's, you know, just a beautiful piece of artwork. If you have the old version, you have Michael Menzel's art, or if you have the newer deluxe version, you're going to see Ian O'Toole's masterpiece in it. Now, I'm going to stop talking about Rococo because I could literally do that forever. I only did that because, you know, Pat and Scott told me to do it. But this episode is all about them and their podcast, so let's talk about that for a little bit. Now, I look back and I think of how crazy it was to first meet them. There's a board game group on Facebook where I had some random guy asking, Can someone teach me how to play Carnegie on BGA? Please, pretty please. Almost begging. It's, it's, it's cute. <laughs> I almost did not do it, honestly, because I was very tired. It was quite late, but I did agree to it. Uh, that guy was, believe it or not, Patrick. Yeah, we played. Uh, he told me about the podcast. And then ever since then, I've been listening to them and it's been enjoyable. I have enjoyed listening to them for quite some time. And then it became PAX Unplugged Weekend. I met Patrick in person. I was finally able to meet him in his highlighter green hat. I also met Scott eventually too. And we all played Corrosion and just generally had a great time. Now these guys, what I've learned is that they're just fun people. And as a longtime listener, I can see how this podcast has evolved and it's grown and it's just been an incredible experience hanging out with them and just chatting with them about board games and life. I've learned a bit about each of their families and friends while having these chats. And even though I have yet to meet Scott's family, which I would really love to, I have met Patrick's and they are a lovely group of people. His wife and daughter treated me so incredibly well when I visited them in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I got to meet some of the lobsters, too, that he talks about. We played a game of Twilight Imperium. It was just an all-around fun time. I look forward to seeing all of them again. And with that said, it leaves me to the question that I have for them. Now, here's the question. Being board gamers, I would assume that you've played at least a few games with your respective families. Have you thought about bringing any of your family members onto the podcast to talk about a game that they enjoy? And if they're not wanting to do that, if they're maybe, you know, shy, do you at least know some of their favorite games that they've played with you? 
And with that, I would like to bid you, the adventurers, a fond adieu. Until next time, happy gaming. Hey, thank you so much, Teacher Ryan, for that audio. I'll tell you what, Teacher Ryan is our favorite contributor to the show. While he doesn't give us audio that often, he does get to join us for episodes, and he teaches us so many games. Ryan's question is, being board gamers, I'd like to assume that you've played at least a few games with your respective families. Have you thought about bringing spouses or family members on to the show to talk about a game that they enjoy? If they're shy about it, do you at least know their favorite games? Do you want to take this one, King? Well... That is an interesting question because, to be honest, I've never really thought about having Heather on to talk about a game. I know safely what her favorite game is to play with me, and that would be Seven Wonders Duel. I never really thought about asking her to be on. I think that's something we should try and do on uh, an episode coming up. Uh, Maybe at some point. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And now she's not really a big board gamer, so it's kind of tough. I kind of try and figure out games that might fit what she likes. If we can sit her down and have her buy into playing the game. Yeah, I I really like that idea. That's a great one, Ryan. I never really thought about that. And uh, that's something I'm definitely going to look into and see if I can get her on. You know, I actually wanted Chrissy to be the original, you know, our box fart commercial. This episode oh, yes. of the level. <laughs> yeah, I originally wanted Chrissy to do that. Well, okay, that took three different women to try and make that. Ha- I was like, this has to be a female voice. It has to be a girl doing this because that, that just makes it funnier. If it's a dude, it's like, okay, yeah, we're all mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all total dorks. But if it's a girl, by okay, well, that's that's neither here nor there. So I had one over, and she starts reading the script, and I was like, okay, it's recording, and she just starts laughing. And I was like, okay, okay, gather your say, take your time, no big deal. You you can do this. Pull yourself together, girl. <laughs> And she's like, okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> Just starts laughing again. She's like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I really want to. I can't do it. Then I told my wife and I was like, you know, I, I need someone to do this. You got to be serious. Like you got to like, and occasionally, and this is how I phrase it. I was like, after I play the sound clip where it's like, I need you to make like, and I described it as like an orgasmic sound. Be like, oh. <laughs> Right, like you really sinking your teeth into that sound, like it. Oh, and uh, and she was like, "I just can't do that," <laughs> which which is funny because she works in TV. She is uh, she's hired me. She's had me work jobs where I go into the sound booth and you know, right now Lisa New Chevy Cruz, you know, d- doing the the commercial stuff when she worked right. for a company that did uh, commercials, local commercials. So I thought, well, she's she's going to be a natural for this. But she was like, I just, I can't do it. I'm not comfortable with my voice on air. Okay, fine. So Addie pulled through and uh, she's one of the helpers whenever we have our game days at the vault, our level up meetup. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's whose voice we're getting. As far as my wife, I haven't thought about having her on. And honestly, to me, it's always been, if I'm listening to another show and they have a spouse on, or, well, I'll get there. If they have a spouse on and you can tell that the spouse is the casual gamer, it's like, look, I'm tuning into your board game podcast. Uh, your audience, this is someone who has willingly downloaded a podcast about playing strategy board games. They're a big time nerd in this hobby. I want to hear big time nerd talk. <laughs> and whenever you have somebody who's not a big time nerd and they're like, well, I really like that the pieces are cute. To me, it's just like, come on, fast forward. Worse yet, when oh, when they have kids on and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to have Jimmy on and he's going to tell us about a game that he played called I don't know, go nuts for donuts. And Jimmy comes on, I like the sprinkle donuts. It's like, 
look, I'm an adult. I'm tuning in because I want to hear about strategy board games. Your kid's cute, but come on, there's time and a place. I, I don't think I would do that. I, I will happily share that uh, my daughter's, I think my daughter's favorite game at the moment is Ticket to Ride First Journey. And mm-hmm. my wife, she just picked up Bees. Uh, she picked up Abduction. It's D-U-C-K, oh, yes, yes. Abduction. She picked up Abduction. Her favorites are, are probably either Carcassonne or Honey Buzz. Big fans of both of those. Well, I, th- I think that occasionally it's not a bad idea. I know from my point of view, I want to try and figure out games that I can draw my wife into. So if they do have that on there, then it might be something there that I would listen to, but it can't be like the main discussion topic. Right, it's got to right. be some short little part of that. And as far as kid games, I mean, I agree with you on the kids. I, I want to get more meat out of what I'm listening to. Uh, mm-hmm. But trying to figure out something to get my wife into playing, that would be a big thing there for me. Maybe like the uh, casual corner. Yes. Once every uh, six months. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, let's get back to it. We're okay. on the edge of our seat waiting to hear your number six. My number six. Now, this one here is where I kind of change the rules a little bit. Okay. So this one here is not really a board game per se, but this is truly one of my favorite games to play, period. Designed by James Niffen and Christian T. Peterson from Fantasy Flight Games from 2015, that is Star Wars Armada. Whenever this came out and they announced this was coming out, I lost my freaking mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Star Wars X-Wing had been out, and yeah, it's your little dogfight. But whenever they said they're going to do a naval combat thing with the big starships, and you're still going to have the little fighters and everything going in between them, I'm like, I cannot get this in my hands fast enough. To my day right now, now I don't have a lot of Clone Wars stuff, but everything else, I have everything from the original set of Armada. I don't get a chance to play it as much as I would love to. The great thing about this game is you can fit out your starships how you want them. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be commanding it? What type of weapons do you want to have on there? What type of crews do you want to have on there helping you out with different things? What pilots are you going to have in your fighters? The smaller ships, okay, you can make your decision what you're going to be doing each turn. Are you going to concentrate fire? Are you going to work on engineering to fix your ships? Well, you get into the bigger ones. Well, those bigger ships, they may have a problem with their communications or something. And it takes a couple turns for the information to get to those places. So you have to think two maybe three turns in advance what you're going to do and think where you're going to be in that game whenever that order comes up. You look at it and you're sitting there thinking, oh God, I set up for concentrate fire and I'm barely limping through space right now. I really need engineering so badly right now and I screwed up things so badly. But it's just such a tremendous game Absolutely adored everything about this game I love. Definitely, Star Wars Armada is an absolute top-notch game there. Now that I'm talking about it, why I didn't put it at number one, I don't know. But I know why I put the number one there. Oh, 
beautiful looking game too. Some of those pieces are huge and so like you know, considering that, I mean, they're not to scale, you know, when you yeah. consider the size of a starship compared with like a, a, a TIE fighter, but man, it's a looker on the table. It captures the eyes. I played it one time. Someone actually had the Super Star Destroyer and I took that thing all the way down to one point of damage left and in just absolute poetic justice, my A-wing was able to take it down and take it off the field and it was yes. beautiful. Scott, my number six is, is another relatively recent entry, Barrage. Scott, this is a game that I wasn't sure that I was going to like, and I kind of avoided it for a while. It's a Euro game that has a reputation for being a little nasty at times, which... Excuse me? um, A little nasty? Yeah. A little nasty? It can get a lot nasty. It, it can. It can. All right. So that's going to put some folks off. But in its execution for me anyway, it means that there is legit interaction with other players with consequences. Oh, it's another, uh, uh, what do they call Multiplayer solitaire. There's barely any interaction. And then the moment that they make a Euro that's got some meaty, chunky, meaningful interaction like Barrage, people are like, oh, I don't like it. It's too mean. <laughs> Booey. Barrage. Thematically, you're damming up a river and you're creating power through conduits and power plants. How about that for excitement? Boy, you go from a tech tree to industrial revolution with water. Man, Patrick, you live life on the edge. I got nothing. You, you win this round. You win this round. So the game is basically worker placement, but you've got a ton of workers. And the earlier that you use a spot, the less workers that you need to allocate to that spot. So right off the bat, there's interaction with other players that matters. First person to go to this location will only have to use one guy. The other person is going to have to use two guys and spend a buck. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat. You've got to build conduits and power plants to process water and fulfill contracts, and in doing so, score points and other bonuses. So there's a reason to get the best contracts from the market. Again, more player interaction. I think what makes the game challenging is that you need resources to build dams, power plants, etc. But they go into this resource wheel. Think like a, like a, a hexagonal hexagonal wheel. No, it's a circle wheel, but it's mm -hmm. got six spaces within. Like what's Trivial Pursuit? That's what I'm looking for. The Trivial Pursuit pie. They stay there and you've got to work to get them back. Basically, with all the interaction in the game, with the ability to cut each other off, to steal power, there's also this factor wherein you might get in your own way. Needing to carefully manage that resource wheel, the number of workers that you have available for the round, the amount of power that you need to generate for your contracts, the amount of money that you need for the next thing that you have in mind. It takes skill to play this game well, and that's before factoring in other people and what they might do. It makes my top 10 because it is so rewarding. When a plan comes together and you fulfill a huge contract, when you cut off an opponent from their water supply for a whole round, mm -hmm. when you finally unlock the seven point conduit, like the conduit that gives you the seven bonus points per end, oh, so satisfying. Again, some folks are going to hate this game for the intricacies, for the, uh, the, we'll say the negative player interaction that can be aggressive. But for me, that's what makes this game so very good. And that's Barrage. I think whenever we talk about games, and yes, you are much more of the cutthroat, more competitive. I'm more of one that I'm kind of wanting to see where the game leads me and just experience it in a way. And every time I would play that with anybody, it was, no, they were going in to win. And it just <laughs> kind of like, it was one of those ones where I just got angry and I'm just like, you know what? There are thousands of other games out there I could play that aren't going to make me as angry as I am right now. <laughs> so 
I'm just going to let people enjoy this game and move along. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's a good way to put it. If you play it three times and you're like, this game just pisses me off. Uh, some people are going to gonna approach it that way and some people are going to go, man, that was so frustrating, but I was so close. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're intrigued by that angst, what's the word? The frustration. If you're intrigued by that frustration and it makes you want to break through it, well, then you're going to like this game. But if it's off-putting, you're probably not going to like it. It, yeah. it is a, yeah. a challenging, difficult game. Yeah, and, and I can appreciate the game for what it is. Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad game in, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, there's a lot of thought that went into the design of that game. But it's just one that just doesn't check all the boxes for me of an experience that I want to have whenever I'm playing the game. Well, it's my number six, so it's good. So there. Well, Lottie, freaking da. Oh, come on now. I have this momentum <laughs> going and everything. And Snuck you let him, him in. Oh. <laughs> we have to do our top 100 update. We've got Heat pedal to the metal, climbing up to number 71, and Frosthaven up three spots to number 79. So that's going to be your number one and two games here since you have the cult of the new? <laughs> so far, it sure seems that way. And, uh, well, whether or not that changes remains to be seen. Top 100 debut, the opposite of outish, Inish is Woo! debuting at number 100. New Highest Peaks, The Lost Ruins of Arnak. Haven't heard that one for a while. Maybe what with the expansions, it's getting some buzz, getting some juice. But Lost Ruins of Arnak, higher than it's ever been at number 28. Obviously, Heat and Frosthaven, as we previously mentioned. Also, Cthulhu, Death May Die, is up to number 71. Whoa. Happy birthdays! Oh, we barely have to play the music. It's just one. Keyflower. Keyflower's been on there for 10 years. Boy, oh boy, that good stuff there. Yeah, I'm like, I gotta revisit Arnak because I think I've played that twice, maybe tops. That's what? it. And you did uh, at least twice when we reviewed it. That was it. You haven't played it since the review. No, Scotro, come on. <laughs> Well, right, we'll look, have to make that change here sometime here's the in the deal. future. We're going to play it in the very near future as soon as we're done with uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh, yes. And when we finish with Distilled. Oh, and we have oh, Old yes. Tree. We've got the expansion for Return to Dark Tower. Okay. Well, uh, we've got and some more I've challengers. got a few here as well, too. So. Thunder Road Vendetta, First Rat, Oracalcum. <laughs> uh, <there's laughs> but you <laughs> digress. So let's get we back get to, to this play. list. Okay. Well, we normally have some fade music that plays us off. What's your number five, Scott? Number five, we're going to go in the way back machine once again, but not as far back as Carcassonne. We're going to go back to an Alan Moon game from 2004, and that is Ticket to Ride. You said you've seen me playing Ticket to Ride on BGA all the time. And the reason I've been playing it all the time is I've been playing it in the arena mode. So Ooh, okay. it's one of those ones there where I want to play it and try and get to be the best that I can in that. And once again, it gets me in trouble because I want to play the experience, but there are some people out there that are like, no, I'm going to spit in your cornflakes and make your day miserable. So well, I'm not arena. that high. But no, this game here is one of those games that's so simple to pick up and play. There's not a lot of rules. Once you get the rules down, then it's just into playing the game and making your decisions and making the most 
positive decisions to make your outcome better for you. You're pushing your luck with, do I want to draw more of the cards into my hand with the different color cars to make the routes across the United States or whatever map you're playing on? Or do I want to go and get some more of those tickets where I need to connect different cities together? All the time, whenever your opponent's doing the same thing, and whenever you go to get those tickets, you know that's going to be the moment that they're going to put that one train in, in that spot that's going to finish out your longest train for the entire thing, and you're going to hate that person and wish ill will on them and Scott, a pox Scott, on Scott, their feet. Easy. Calm it down. I'm sorry. Oh. <sighs> but yes, Ticket to Ride is is a, a, a fine game, a, a nice game, game, a delightful game <laughs> that really draws people in and gives them the mechanics to enjoy more and more intriguing games and more and more difficult games. So many things are based off of this game that it's another one of those keystones to how you enjoy gaming. So Ticket to Ride is my number five. You know what I got to say? I'm really happy that your list has had Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride on. And I think it's so often that you see top 10 lists and it's um, kind of picking on myself here. I'm going to say newer <laughs> stuff or, or or it's super heavy stuff or it's the standard like here's BGGs, you know. Here, yeah. Here's what, yeah. Okay. They – and, you know, we're guilty of that to some extent. You know, of course, you know, Gloomhaven is, is phenomenal and in my top 10. It's a mm-hmm. very good game. But – I like that you have Ticket to Ride in there. Let's be honest. It is one of the best hobby board games. It's one of the only ones that you can go into Target or Walmart and find it. Why? Because it's that good. Yes. Because it's that good. You know what you don't see in there is Barrage. Barrage is a great (laughs) game, but it is not as appealing. Ticket to Ride is a – it's one of the best. It could be listed as a family game to play that. Barrage, that's a family game. But that's a family game that has problems already. For the in Adams their family. <laughs> that's a broken home game. Oh, I love it. You know, I was playing it with Ryan. I was playing it with, t- not to pick on teacher, but uh, he and I were playing it. I would invite him to play async while I was at work and uh-huh. like in between customers or whatever. Sometimes you have a good five minutes, like, okay, I'll make a move. And Ryan's the same way with his job. So every now and then he'd make a move. And we played it for like two or three days and I was I was beating him, beating up on him pretty good. And he's like, can we play something else? And I'm sure it's just because he wanted variety. I'm picking on you, Ryan. Yeah, I, I in my head, I told myself it's because I've asserted my dominance on you. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Let's, Come on, you're number five. Okay. okay, number five. We're actually going to dial back the complexity a tad. And aside from Gloomhaven, this is the only co-op on my list. My number five is a game that might bring us in for nostalgia, but it keeps me coming back for the gameplay. And that game is... Return to Dark Tower. Mm. Return to Dark Tower, it's infamously based on the original Dark Tower game from 1982, but it got the revamp treatment from Restoration Games and a slew of quality designers. Most eye-catching, of course, is that dark tower in the center of the board, which uses plastic cover pieces and backlit symbols, and of course a distribution of skulls into the top to make each play feel unique and unpredictable. Controlling this tower and the game timer, as well as the exploration of dungeons throughout the land, is a companion app. (laughs) 
<laughs> so if you're instantly turned off, I suppose you'll just be skipping over this one. But for the folks who don't mind, or dare I even say enjoy digital incorporation of digitally digits in their games, to me, this is the best of those that do so. The app doesn't get in the way one bit. Yet without it, the game, honestly, it just wouldn't captivate the way that it does. App aside, each time you play, you get a scenario providing the goal of the game. And each player gets to take a number of actions on their turn, typically moving and attacking, but often visiting cities, villages in the land, questing for items, or even delving into dungeons to find treasure. This game, you can you can use your phone app, but man, is it good on like an iPad or a tablet because mm-hmm. you have those dungeons where you can actually like, okay, I'm going to move up and it says, here's what you know, I'm going to move to the right. And you have it on the map on your tablet. That's so cool. And it's fantastic incorporation of technology, not, uh, we'll say, intrusive incorporation. Great way of putting it there. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. The turn ends with dropping a skull into the dark tower, which might fall out at random onto a quadrant of the border. It might stay in there until a later turn. There's just no way to know. Dude, we've had this at meetups. I've played it with the hardcore group. I played it with my with my brother and his wife, who's not a gamer. We've reviewed it on the show, and it's been in front of family. Dude, every damn time this game is a hit, I don't think anybody's ever finished and been like, no. Take it or leave it. Everybody has been like, <laughs> that was cool. Bonus, it's a hit for me too. And that's why I have it at my number five. It does bridge the cult of the new and the cult of the old because it's a re-implementation <laughs> of an older game. It was one where they didn't just like kind of give you the same thing, but put in some bell and bells and whistles. They gave you more to add on to that game to make it much more of an experience. This provides you with a great experience. Chef's kiss to the app because mm-hmm. it does such a great job of you put that skull in the top. You're sitting there like, oh, God, what's going to happen? And you were so terrified of having more skulls drop out and everything. It's such a great, great implementation of that game. Hi, guys. This is Archmage Andrew. If you're a longtime diehard listener, if you consume and savor every second of the Level Up Board Game podcast, you just may have caught my history and game segments within the show's earlier and far more primitive episodes. If you found my segment interesting and in the market for a short-form podcast stuffed with information, humor, and a game recommendation, well, I am pleased as punch to announce that the third season of History and Game is underway. All seasons and episodes can be found at historyandgame.com. What is your favorite board game of all time? Well, believe it or not, I get asked this question all the time. From passing strangers at our meetup gaming events to Tinder dates forced to swim in a sea of board games the moment they step foot into my apartment, non-gamers see the question as a novel and appropriate way to break the ice. Unfortunately, what they don't know is that asking a hobby gamer what their favorite board game is of all time It's the equivalent of asking a well-trained musician what their favorite song is of all time. Just like countless of thousands of serious gamers from the windows to the walls, I enjoy a ton of games. Unfortunately, my time is limited. To provide any semblance of an educated answer so we can all move on and get back to living our lives, 
I have selected Arkham Horror, the card game. Since the game's release by Fantasy Flight Games in 2016, I have purchased anything and everything the game has thrown at me. Arkham Horror, the card game, blends deck building, elements from role-playing games such as gaining experience and leveling up, a strong sense of player agency where player choices truly influence and drastically change the campaign's narrative. While I do have a few minor picks to knit with the game, for me, Arkham Horror, the card game, checks a whole lot of boxes, making it uh, my favorite board game of all time. Well, speaking of narrative and thematic games, Arkham Horror provides the perfect segue for my question. So, guys... How does the presence of narrative within a game increase or decrease your interest in it? Even if Kickstarter has inexplicably plummeted your bank account into the red, leaving you unable to purchase a copy to, you know, explore on your own, when a game implements a narrative component, despite the game's theme, does the narrative component spike your interest? Or do you steer clear of such nonsense by relegating your game interests and experiences to nothing but complex and crunchy Euro games. Thoughts? Thanks guys, and congratulations on your 100th episode. To paraphrase Doc Brown in Back to the Future Part 3, the future of the Level Up board game podcast is whatever you make it. So make it a good one, both of you. Here's to 100 more. Well, hey, thank you, Archmaid Jandrew, our very first contributor and our favorite contributor to the show. One of his things is he loves to go into the history of the of the games, and it seems fitting that he would ask about the narrative if it would increase or decrease our interest in a game. So I'm, I'm going to toss it off to you here. What do you think? Does the narrative really mean a lot to you in a game? What do you think? You know what? I sat down at work. <laughs> Dude, people are going to think I don't do anything at work. <laughs> I was at work and I was just jotting down some notes like, okay, we need to define narrative a little bit. Like there's there's RPGs, which are straight up narrative, creating the story, creating the characters and what happens is based on the storytelling. And then you scale that back a little bit. You get like create your own adventure stories, mm-hmm. like the create your own adventure games, Tainted Grail, uh, maybe Spire's End Hildegard that we each uh, talked about a oh, couple yes. episodes ago. Then there's like overarching stories like dungeon crawls, uh, think like Gloomhaven, Descent, yes. like there's there's a narrative in between things. There's story injected like Mansions of Madness or Destinies. And then there's implied story like Western Legends, Nemesis or Black Orchestra. And to me, you know what, I, the more I was like trying to think up games for each form I think implied narrative games where like you can kind of tell what's going on. Think the goal cards in Yido where you need a rope and you need a geisha and yes. you need a smoke bomb and it's your kidnapping, you know, kidnapping someone. It's, and there's just a tiny little bit of flavor text. It's not part of the game. You don't even have to read it out loud. No one – you just show the card and you're like, okay, I have the rope, the geisha and I'm in this spot. I get six points and I'm going to draw a new card. And that's the extent of it. But as you're playing it, as you're reading these to yourself, you're like, oh, okay, I need the rope because we're going to we're gonna climb down from the ceiling and the geisha is going to lure him over that way. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm going to use a smoke bomb and get the room filled with uh, smoke and we're going to smuggle him out of there. Right? There's implied story. Nemesis, obviously. You know, it's like Alien the movie. Oh, yes. Oh, he went over here and we were having systems malfunction. 
it all comes full circle. To me, I don't think that narrative is all that important to me. I, I don't like a game more because as narrative, if anything, sometimes games have too much storytelling for my liking. Mm-hmm. I kind of held off on uh, Madara because there were people that told me, oh yeah, there are parts where you literally sit around the table reading to each other for 15 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not terribly interested in that. I can right. see why people are, but to me, it's like, I want to sit down and I want to, I want to play a game. And if there's some emergent narrative, something that's implied, that's what I prefer. So to me, I don't think that narrative plays a big role in increasing my enjoyment of a game. And oftentimes, uh, it let's put it this way, it's more likely to decrease my enjoyment of a game. But I like when a narrative is implied or in between scenarios, okay. that sort of yeah. thing. What do you think, Scott? Narrative in your games. Well, I like how you define those. Because I think whenever it comes to a narrative, if I'm playing a game with a bunch of people – it normally means that I'm under a time constraint, that I'm out someplace playing game with people. We're trying to play a few games, have a good day, and everything like that. Narrative implies to me something that takes a little bit more time. So sure. I think that narrative goes more in the line of solo games. Nemo's War. I want the narrative build out. I want to think that I'm going through and fighting off those ships and doing things. Final Girl. I want to be that person that's running around just keeping so many steps in front of the killer trying to uh, beat me down. Marvel Champions. I'm looking at that and I'll be playing Spider-Man against Rhino. You're letting the narrative build up. Whereas if we're playing a game with a narrative with a bunch of people, you're looking at a four-hour time span. You want to try and get in three games at least to have a good day. You don't mm-hmm. have the time to really build that narrative out there. I'm looking at it more in the way of I would want the narrative to be in a solo game more than it would be a multiplayer game. Yeah, that's the same here. Same here. Tainted Grill, I did solo. I would never play it multiplayer. Well put. Well yeah, put. yeah. Thank you for the question, Andrew. Oh, yeah. That's a great, great question. Scott, we're up to number four. What you got? All right. Number four, we're getting into a little bit closer to modern times here. This one was a game that came out and just really captured everyone by storm whenever it first came out and really expanded this whole idea of we needed to explore this red planet. And that was terraforming Mars. All right. And whenever I first saw it, I'm like, this drew me in like – this looks really interesting. I, I, I like what the, the box looks like. This looks pretty cool. And then I got it out and I played it. And it's like, oh, my God, I need to find a way to tap into a vein and just put this in my body and let this run <laughs> rampant through my body. I love this game so much. Uh, just the idea of getting your resources and planning things out so that you get more resources each turn. And, oh, God, we got to hurry up and get the water going. We need to plant more trees. Uh, oh, should I plant a tree or should I build a city? Ah, what am I going to do? This was one that I actually took camping one time, sitting in the middle of the woods in northwestern Pennsylvania. Oh, jeez. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds crazy. But, yeah, I beat it there. My whole family looked at me like I was a nutcase, and they're going, "Look what I did!" And they're like, "Wow, that's uh, that that that's nice, Scott. <laughs> well done, Scott. Yeah, woo. That's that's a good one. Terraform Mars has so many things, and they've added so much to it. Where I think 
it almost got a little too bloated whenever it got into the conflict with the government involved and everything like that that they built onto it. And that was just kind of like, okay, now you're pushing the boundaries of how big this belt's going to go around this whole game here. Mm-hmm. And that's whenever they went to the Ares expedition and kind of dialed it back and started fresh from start again. And I think that was a good call. I think if they did another expansion on it, it would have just made it too much of a bloated game there. It got a little bloated, a little too big for its own good, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, but you uh, don't have to incorporate all of oh, it. Like, no, just playing no, with no. the the colonies and prelude i think is absolutely fantastic. yes yeah and it's such or venus next even throwing that one in there is a, a nice one there as well too it's such a great game it's such a thinking game like planning out all your things that you build your engine in front of you such a great game such a fun game to play even though someone would be that's not familiar with board games are going to walk past and ask you, well, yeah, I'm this corporation and I built things. I just threw an asteroid at the planet to make water. Oh, that's uh, they go hard pass. <laughs> Knock yourself out there, Scott. That's That sounds like a jolly good time. You go do that by yourself. But yeah, Terraforming Mars, such a great, great game and such a great puzzle to work out. If we were going by most played games, this would clearly be in my top 10 because I played the solo mode of that thing. It doesn't keep track on the app, and I'm kind of thankful because <laughs> it came out probably four years ago, and there was a while where I was playing 10 times a day Oh yeah, for yeah. two years. Like, if I went to the bathroom, I was going to take 15 minutes because I was going to play a solo <laughs> mode and, and finish it. Uh, I would guess if 10 a day, that's what, 3,600? I would guess that I've done the solo game 10,000 times. Wow. Which sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but you know what? Uh, <laughs> God, I hope my wife never listens. I feel like after I die, right? This is like our this is our legacy. This is how people are going to have our voice after we're gone. And somebody's going to be listening. They're going to be like, that schmuck sat around and wasted months, months yes. of his life playing on a mobile app. Um, no, but for real, we did our first side quest uh, was our sixth episode. And yes. I wanted to do an episode on how to win at solo terraforming Mars because I, I felt like I'd gotten to a point where my ability to evaluate a card uh, based on you know what turn it is in the game, what corporation you are, had basically peaked. Like, I I feel like I figured it out. I I feel like I have it solved. And at this point, I don't lose. It's I don't remember the last time that I lost it solo. Uh Um, That 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 is not a humble brag. I've played it too much to to lose this point. If anything, it's shameful. (laughs) 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 Yeah. what, What a fantastic pick that one is. Terraforming Mars at your number four. Okay. So, Patrick, what is your second highest even number out of a top 10 list? Scott, it's a game that I've seen plenty of other folks call their favorite of all time, but I think that there's going to be plenty of folks who actively don't care for it, giving some of its wacky mechanisms, some injection of luck, and the fact that there's a lot of rolling dice to determine outcomes. It's also, I think, the only game in my in my top 10 that like minis are really cool, and it's kind of a part of the game. This game is Zaya, Legends of a Drift mm. System. Okay, I don't good think call. we've ever actually talked about it on the show. I'm not going to get deep into it. We'll just do a quick theme and gameplay for this one. And maybe next level back, I'll get a little deeper into it. Yeah. Thematically, in a galaxy far, far away, you're looking to get rich and famous. Think like a Han Solo type character. Now, it's a bit of a sandbox game, as in one where you have a ton of ways to score points and you kind of pick how you want to do so during play. 
At the start of the game, each player gets a ship mat, which has a number of spaces for like polyomino shaped parts, Tetris pieces basically. And it has its own asymmetric ability. You spend some of your starting coin, you get to outfit your ship immediately, you're unique compared with everyone else. I went with a really strong engine and a missile. Scott went with a weak engine, but better shields and higher capacity to store minerals, right? Mm-hmm. Now, already, we're, we're, we're two very different people. Right. The game starts out with a starting tile where everyone's going to be placed, and then it has random tiles going around that. When you reach the edges of those tiles, new ones are going to appear, unveiling new places to mine minerals, acquire missions, get exploration tokens, reveal new planets, new markets, warp gates. You just never know what you're going to find. As player score points, events trigger. And let me give you just a couple of cool examples because I, you know, talk about implied narrative in a game. This is one that the story writes itself without there being a single word of story to be read. One of the events that we flipped up last time I was playing with Mike and Brennan was the derelict ship. So you flip up the event card and it's just like, you don't know how it got there, but you know it's there and it's yours for the taking. And the event was basically you can tow this ship back to the to the starting hub, to the space station. And if you do, you get to immediately upgrade it. It's like pick a random level three <laughs> ship, fully upgraded decked out ship. And suddenly it's like, holy crap, I have reason to attack you if you're going to try and tow that thing back. And as it turns out, <laughs> none of us actually got the derelict ship for that reason. But it's like you found an abandoned spacecraft. It's like uh, one of the Star Trek movies. Very cool. Another one is the Rikishi. It's a giant asteroid. It starts in the middle, the very middle, the starting section. And every turn you roll that D20. And it goes in the direction. It, it just continues to go in a random direction until it hits the edge of the board. That is so awesome. Uh, an implied narrative, like, holy crap, in our mm-hmm. galaxy, this giant asteroid. Now, that's not going to happen most games. It's one of several big stack of event cards. You're only going to see a handful of them play out. Sometimes you're going to have the game where this giant asteroid is just barreling through space, <laughs> literally blowing up your tiles. They are removed from the game. That's absurd. Uh, just fantastic narrative in this one. Also, you're going to have scoring opportunities at various intervals throughout uh, as these title cards come out. Like, be a daredevil. Let's move 20 spaces in a turn. Collect some amount of coin in a turn, and that'll get you a point. Go through three different warp gates all in one turn. That's a point. Like, they come up with goofy ways to like, okay, we know our standard seven or eight or nine ways to score points, but then it'll throw in these random things. They're like, holy crap, we're doing that now? Dude, I didn't even mention the game has NPC ships, non-player character ships that are going to appear. The cop, the merchant, and the scoundrel, and each of them behave in a way that you might like or you might not, depending on whether you're an outlaw or not. The point is, there are a ton of ways to score points and so little that you can plan for. It's a game that you play to enjoy being part of your story, one with legendary moments, giant mega turns where everything goes right, heartbreaking turns where you try and break into a planet, sneaking in through its planetary shield, and you don't blow up and you got to restart. Hi. <laughs> I love this game. Now, I will say it is a bit of an event of a game. And while it can play up to five, I prefer to cap it at three is beyond that the downtime can get a little too lengthy for my taste. Further, if you're considering the game, it greatly improved with the embers of a forsaken star expansion. Basically, it uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult to just play a merchant strategy bouncing back and forth from like this planet to that planet. I'm going to buy it here, sell it there, buy it here, sell it there. It makes it so that you can't do that. And frankly, that's appropriate because that's just not legendary. And the goal in Zaya Legends of Adrift system is to become just that, a legend. It's my number four fantastic fun time, Zaya Legends of Adrift system. 
Yeah, I remember when we played this. This was one that you were really going on, that you really loved this game. It was something special for you. And mm-hmm. we played it just the two people. And I think you're right. I think th- a third person would make it drag a little bit. But I think you get it four or five people. Then it's going to be kind of like you're sitting there waiting for your turn, waiting for your turn. I think the two or three people, that's just enough time for you to keep that uh, momentum going in your turn and have fun yeah. doing it. And it was a lot of fun playing it. Like you said, we set up things completely different. I was running all over the place, flying around, keeping away from the cops, trying to lead them off onto you. It was fun. It was kind of like Firefly Light in that you kind of did the same things that you do in an episode of Firefly. But I think that the Firefly game itself it didn't really capture it as much as this game did for me. That's a great call for your number four game. What's your call for your number three, Scott? Well, my number three was one that I had up here on my front porch one day, and it was like, what is this? And this was a gift from Teacher Ryan, and he sent me Obsession. Mm. Now, we've all heard Patrick's obsession with obsession, where it just got to the point of a, a, a sickness, and we almost had to have an intervention for him. Well, I had a confession about my obsession with obsession. Oh, what's that? Playing for too many sessions. Oh, oh my gosh. So, Sarah, Sarah uh, her the high school, for her school district, they did Seussical the Musical. Yeah. So, back in our obsession recap, uh, one of the episodes where I was talking about playing obsession too much, I, I put it all together with Ryan, so I was like, I... <laughs> Sarah saw that musical and then daily it, she was looking up YouTube, Susical the Musical, and I was like, I need to get away from children's programming. <laughs> Go on, proceed. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, Obsession was one of the games that I looked at and I'm like, this looks really interesting. It's kind of a dull topic for a game to be based on. But then again, I'm a huge fan of Downton Abbey, which isn't really known to being an action-packed television show. But mm-hmm. oh my god. God, did I fall into deep with watching Downton Abbey. And this was a great way of grasping that and making that happen on my tabletop. The whole idea of this is you're a different family in England and you're trying to get the most prestige and get the money to put on different events at your house and upgrade your house. It is really a dull topic whenever you think about it. But oh my God, (laughs) it is so much fun. Yeah. Whenever you're playing this game and you're upgrading the different parts of your house and you're inviting people over to play tennis or you're going to go riding with your best gal. Wait, no, that's more of uh, Oklahoma. Never mind. It's such a great game. It's so many technical things you have to look at and figure out whenever you're playing this. You have to plan so far in advance with like, if I make this choice right now, this is going to affect me further down the line. So let's pull the trigger. And then it affects you. And then you're like, well, I was a damn idiot there. It's a, a great game. So much fun to play this game. Multiplayer. I haven't played it solo yet, but I like it whenever you're playing with more people. We had a fraternity game night and I brought this out. And me and Deal and Fozzie sat down and played it. Fozzie had never even heard of this thing here. He Mm -hmm. played it. He fell in love with this game. And he's not even a gamer. Weird topic for a game, but it works. It works so well. Yes, That would be obsession. Scott, my number three, it has climbed that high. 
It's a game most folks haven't heard of called Obsession. What? <laughs> Shut How about up. That? <laughs> My number three is Obsession. I have at this point played just shy of a thousand games on Board Game Arena. I'm <laughs> oh currently God. ranked number one on Board Game Arena. I've since bought everything that you can possibly get for the game, including the metal coins from Nanty Narkin to bling it up a bit more. <laughs> Okay, so uh, as you started to allude to, uh, it has you playing as pompous, wealthy Victorian-era Englishmen who want to expand their estates, gossip about each other, and court the prestigious Fairchild family to your crib. (laughs) So what's not to love about that? Scott, I'm going to get into the technical side because what's interesting here is you like it for the theme of it, the delight of expanding the estate. I like it for the the one-on-one. I like it for the competitive play of the game. I think when you look at one of the cards, you look at the picture, you look at the name and you go, well, doesn't she look – we should have her go riding with this gentleman. Mm-hmm. I look at the card and I don't know the name. I know you need a purple worker and he gives you one additional card draw and he gives you a prestige draw or she gives you a prestige draw. I play it mechanically and I think that you play it thematically, which is cool. Right. That a game that we can both put so high on our list that I think it remains to be seen, but I'm guessing that this will end up being our only crossover between our two lists. At its core, it's a combination of work placement and a card game with a bit of economics involved. You start with five tiles representing your estate, but you'll be adding to them throughout play. Same with your starting four family cards and your starting two guests. You'll be drawing more casual guests, but more importantly, as many prestige guests as you can get your white-laced, gloved hands on. (laughs) There are a few ways to play with optional rules and a handful of expansions to incorporate if you so choose to keep the game fresh. But honestly, I'm nearly a thousand games in playing almost exclusively the extended game and I've got basically no sign of slowing down. What makes it exceptional is the number of choices that you make on any given turn and the impact of those choices, coupled with the available options that you have to manipulate your position, that being the ability to pay prestige for some extra money or to refresh a servant or to rotate the market and to know when to do so. It's a game that after a while, you're. I'm going to get deep here. Okay. For me, believe deep for me is not that deep, but it's a game that after a while, you start to learn about the sub game and the next level. Uh, how do I explain this? Take tic-tac-toe. We learn very early on what the basic game is and how to win. Eventually, and usually very quickly, players realize that going first means it's likely best to just start in the middle. The next player, the next step, is knowing that going second means you've got to then place in a corner, forcing a draw, right? Mm-hmm. It, it takes you it takes you a very few games of tic-tac-toe to understand, okay, in order to play optimally, this is what I do. You went from learning the game, being at base level one, to, okay, I should open up with this play. That's base, That's level two. Level three is, okay, if they open this way, then I need to go that way, right? Obsession kind of does that. Uh, there's going to be games where you start the game and you're going to be playing second and the opening courtship is blue and there's a barn available for your opponent. You're extremely unlikely to win that first fair child. So what do you do? Because inevitably, it's the purple fair child every time that you take because she draws you prestige guess. Ideally, If you're not going to win that first one because it's blue, you start building up other color tiles to increase your chances of winning the second courtship. You want to be drawing more basic guests, uh, hoping to snag one of the three that draw prestige. There are three basic guests that can draw you a prestige guest. So if you're not going to win that first Fairchild, you better be drawing a whole lot of cards trying to find one of those three so you don't fall behind. Maybe even target a flower room to get your hands on uh, on an extra prestige guest before uh, before midway through the game. That's a mouthful if you've never played Obsession, but it applies to a lot of skill-intensive hobby board games where you learn the game at one level, and then as you 
learn how to respond given various position and board states. You increase your skill level with it. Uh, never mind what might be optimal in this game. To me, it's a Euro that clicks. Uh, I feel like if I had to win a game to save my life, it would be Obsession. Uh, and it's because it's so good at what it does. The theme to me, I think to you, the mechanics are the cherry on top. To me, the theme is the cherry on top. This is a two cherry kind of board game. <laughs> Trademark it. Two cherry game right here. Obsession. Both of us putting it at number three. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, pretty good. Well, Adventurers, 100 episodes. That is that is crazy. Patrick and Scott, they, they did it. They ran a podcast. They can retire now. They're done. Oh, I hope not because I hope they do more because even though I'm on the show sometimes, I actually enjoy listening to the show quite a bit. Well, congratulations, Scott. And Patrick, this is fantastic. You guys have reached 100 episodes. But in response to this, they've asked me to share what my favorite game is. Now, this is a recent development. My favorite game of all time has been between Fury of Dracula and War of the Ring, the card game. Now, after playing both recently, I've come to discover that Fury of Dracula has been dethroned. And my favorite game of all time, as of right now, is War of the Ring, the card game, which we recently reviewed on a previous episode. This game is absolutely fantastic, has all the things I like in a game, interesting card play, a good hand management system, area majority, and I recently got to play this with Scott at Origins, and needless to say, I thoroughly trounced him as the Shadow. This is probably due to the fact that he was playing with a partner who hadn't played before, and he looked like he had been awake for about 37 hours straight trying to sell table game toppers. Either way... This game is absolutely fantastic, and I love it. I am can't wait for the expansions to come out. I hope to play this more and more in the future. But more importantly, that's what we're here for. Here's my question to you. If you and Scott could go back to your cute little episode one selves of the Level Up Board Game Podcast, what would you tell them? Or maybe what would you warn them about? Or would you give uh, encourage them about from your journey from episode one to 100? Well, thank you, Josh, so much for your contributions to the show to this point, and uh, obviously for that audio. As you know, you are our favorite contributor to uh, the uh, 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 game. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Have you called all of them your favorite contributor? We don't play favorites. They're all our favorite. Explorer Josh wants to know, if you could go back to episode one and tell yourselves what, uh, about this journey to uh, to 100 episodes, what would you tell yourselves? Uh, Scott, I wrote down a list. So I want to hear, what, what would you tell us maybe advice or, or warnings well okay so i have basically one thing that i would tell myself on doing this and that is have fun i think whenever we first started we were really set up on making sure that we had a certain way of doing things and we should hit this we should hit this we should hit this it's kind of gotten to that point now where we know where things are going, how the show is going to go, and we kind of go with it. And I think the yeah. biggest thing there would be just go into it having fun. If you're having fun doing it and doing the show, talking about the games you like, people will gravitate towards that because you're talking about the games that they like as well. And that's mm -hmm. going to get the people that you want to play games with and that you want to socialize with. Instead of making sure that you hit the current hot game or you hit on heavy games and that's it, nothing else. Right. I think just having a good time, saying what we think about it, saying we like it, we don't like it, uh, whatever we want to do, just have fun. That would be the biggest thing I would tell myself. 
Well, you very eloquently wrapped up what I made into a whole bunch of bullet points. So, <laughs> in my usual long-winded to uh-huh. your short-winded fashion, yeah. And you know what? This is all going to come back to have fun. Uh, first up, the warnings, things that, uh, you know, I, this isn't just what I would tell myself, but maybe for those that might be considering this. First off, there's not enough time to do everything that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might have the, this idea that like, oh man, we're going to get to play so many games. No, you're still going to play about the same number of games, but now you have even less time because you have to record an episode and there's going to be a, there's going to be a learning curve. Holy crap. With like audacity. And yeah. I, our first episode or at least a couple early on, we had to just, oh, I wasn't recording and we mm-hmm. had to just restart. You know, those things happen. That's going to happen either way. But the, it, at the end of the day, what it means is that learning curve introduces some amount of time commitment. Uh, and even now, you know, I, I, I tell folks that ask me about the podcast, you know, my buddy Adam, he's he's big on working out and, and he owns a gym and he's like, we were thinking about doing like a, a fitness podcast. And I was, you know, what, what do we need to know? And I was like, well, first thing you need to know is however long your episode is, times it by three and a half, that's how long you're going to spend editing if it's going to come out sounding good. Adventures, at this point in the episode, Scott has said, um, at least 300 times and none of you know about it because of the amount of time that we spend. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm proud of my ums. <laughs> no, but uh, the point is it takes a crap load of time. I think also if you're looking to get into it and you're like, oh man, free games, free games. Dude, it was the coolest thing ever the first time oh, we God. had a review game show up at your door and at my door. I was like, holy crap. We we made it. We're in. We're the big time, right? We got a free game. Dude, free game is a burden. Um, <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. I yeah. see that laugh. I see that smile. Free game is a burden. Free game means, you know what? We got this for free. That's cool. Now I have to play it. And I was really hoping to play Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, which I got a year and a half from now, and I still haven't been able to get to the table. Because we have the next the next thing that was given to us by by generously, you know, we're we're very thankful. I'm not oh yes, complaining. Yeah. It's a good problem to have, but it can be a problem. On to the good, you're going to meet some great people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that's what I would tell myself. You, you know, if you if you put forth the effort to introduce yourself to designers and and meet some folks, you know, each of our contributors is is to the point now where they're they're becoming friends or, yes. or they are friends already. Ryan has spent the night at my house, uh, for example. You know that that's really really cool. You're going to be able to talk with publishers. You know, we went to Origins and it wasn't like I'm going to go see what 25th Century Games has to offer. It's no, I'm going to go visit Chad. I'm going to see what he's been up to. You don't go over to Game Toppers to see what they have available. You go to Game Toppers to chill with Berkey, don't you? Right. Yes. And that's only now I know that you two had a prior relationship to the podcast, but there are other folks. Stephanie with First Fish Games. You know, I walk up, hi Stephanie. She says hi Patrick. You know, it's not, you know, a customer relationship anymore. And that's kind of neat. Kind of yes, neat, right? Yes. A couple more that I had on here. Meetups are going to be a blast. Mm-hmm. I love doing those meetups. We have so much fun with that. PGX is going to be a blast. Doing the 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 charity auction last year with Stonemeyer, which was our extent of involvement was he said, What charity do you guys want to pick? Congratulations, I want to use you. And that was that was basically all of our involvement aside from sharing it on the show. But like to have been a part of that oh, God, just yeah. makes me feel so so proud, you know, that, that there's something to show for it. Um, we had a gentleman donate to us at one of our meetups. We don't we don't ask for it. We don't ask for donations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this gentleman had said, you know, what, you, 
he had since penned a letter to us. Uh, I sent him a game and uh, he sent me back a letter with, with some money. He said, you didn't have to buy me a game, you know, and, and he just detailed. He was like, you know, it was, it was, it was a rougher time and you guys were kind of like that uh, – you know, you guys were, were grounding and you know, I could look forward to listening to you guys and take my mind off of things that, that were a little bit troubling. And, you know, to to feel like, look, we're never going to have the giant downloads. You know, we're, we're never going to be the big YouTube channels, but mm-hmm. that we can still make an impression, you know, to to be able to like go back to episode one and, and pat you and I on the back and be like, you guys are going to do some some really cool things if you stick with this. Lastly is a warning. It's a labor of love. Don't compare yourself to other people. You're not going to be able to go very deep into games and uh, you're going to have to figure out tabletop simulator. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> no, it's uh, that those are things that we would say all in all. Uh, you said it best, Scott. Have fun. Play the games that you want to play. Talk about the games that you want to talk about. You know, if, if you talk about the new hotness, you know what you are. You're every other podcast out there. Do what you have fun doing. Yeah, I, I think that's the the best way of putting it. Yeah, in all those bullet points add to that whole thing there. That I think one of the things that you said, and it was even in like the original idea of this, is building up the relationships that we would have through gaming. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that we've really done in making a lot of friends. Uh, the one time I was at Origins, and someone looked at me, and they're like. I knew that voice. I knew I I knew that was you. And it was just like, oh my God, they 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 listen to us. That's was, so cool. I it, yeah, it absolutely blows my mind that something that we're doing just for the fun that having people listen to us in us being able to create relationships with them is such a rewarding thing there. And we may say that, oh my God, this is so cool to someone who comes up and says that to us. You may think that we're just blowing smoke or something like that. No, we're being serious. This is so cool. This is what we wanted to do. We wanted to build relationship. We wanted to build more friends, more people, a, a larger circle of friends that we could all play games together. That you're not always sitting there going, oh God, uh, there's nobody to play games with. Now then we have so many other people that have built onto this, that have made this little family of adventurers that much bigger and that much more friendly. And that, that is such a rewarding thing there. And I have to tell you, with the editing and everything, yes, Patrick, you have just absolutely blown the top off of the professionalism that you do this podcast with. So my hat's off to you for what you do behind the scenes. Oh, well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, I'm you know, not uh, not doing it for pity points. You know, believe me, I, I, I would I would have it no other way. Mm-hmm. I look forward – I don't look forward to editing. But the reward <laughs> at the end of being able to, to put one of our episodes together and say, hey, Scott and Patrick got a, got a new episode out and share it everywhere makes it worth all the time. Mm-hmm. Let's get on to number two. All right. So, I guess that's up to me then, huh? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I think if everyone has listened to some of the shows, you knew it was going to come up here at some point in time, and that is Dune Imperium. There it is. Yes. There it is. This one, I adore this game so much. I don't get a chance to play it as much as I would like to, but I really, really do. Uh, yeah, Dire Wolf, if you're uh, listening, um, I'd really like a big box <laughs> to put everything in. But anyway... 
Dune Imperium, it brings the movie to life. Whenever this first came out, there was very little that was known about this game. It was coming out right around the same time as Arnak was coming out. It was straight coming to out, retail. Yeah, straight to retail. You looked at it and you're like, oh, wow, they just threw a name on a, a game that they just threw together and that's it. But, oh, my God, there is so much to this game, so many characters you can play, so many decisions you have to make. You have the worker placement. You have the deck building. You have the combat. You have all these things to worry about that are going on in this game that even though we got one half of the first movie, this still built out that whole feeling that you got from that movie and everything that goes on. And you're thinking, like, you look at the pictures, you can feel that grit of sand in your teeth whenever you, like, bite down or something. All these things. I just absolutely love this game. All the decisions with how much favor you want to get from the Emperor or the Bene Gesserit or the Fremen, all these different things. Just an absolute tremendous game. So far superseded my expectations of this game. Yeah, Dune Imperium, absolute winner. Absolutely love this game. And a top 10 game on BGG, that's what shocked me. It is it is a, we'll say it's a nerd theme, Dune, but it oh, yeah. is an IP. It's an IP. Yes. Uh, oh, geez. You know what we're going to do? Hold on. Is this the highest rated IP game on BGG? Uh, I would think so. So let's see. IPs. Above it, there's Gloomhaven, Terraforming Mars, Ark Nova. Yeah, it's the highest rated game with an IP. Immediately after it is uh, War of the Rings, Star Wars okay. Rebellion. So yeah. it, it passed up two giants. Yes, yes. War of the Rings, Second Edition, Star Wars Rebellion. And for that matter, if you keep on scrolling down, the next game that has an IP attached to it will exclude Nemesis, which is basically like, – Yeah. I'm still going Clank, Wingspan, Terra Mystica, Arnak, Root, Orleone. Wow. Uh, there just aren't that many games with IPs attached to them in the top 38, 39, 40. Number 40 is Marvel Champions. So there's only like three or yeah. four above that and, and Dune is the highest of them. So you have a game that has an IP that, that that's going to come with an expectation. Someone like me, I don't play – I've never seen Dune. I don't care about Dune, but I like the board game. I like the board game for the mechanisms within and I think that's where they struck gold is that it's a good game yes. first. Yes. And then it is thematic – Second, you know, you don't have to care about Dune to love this game. And and that's, you know. Well, and I think, I think that's, that's what some, makes it so good. Even if you do care about Dune, it still feeds that want of more of the story of Dune. Playing as the characters, as Baron Harkonnen, playing as Duke Leto. There's so many different decisions whenever you're playing the cards, building your deck. Are you building this deck as far as something that you're going to have more money to buy things? Or are you buying it for the combat that's going to come in later on? Great, great, great game. Scott, my number two is one that I think I mentioned once on the show before. And actually, it's my turn to, to go back a little bit. Okay. I'm going to go with Through the Ages, A New Story oh, of Civilization. Yes. Yeah, and this is also where, like, when I was taking notes and jotting notes down, it stopped. So, if this is choppy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, I've played this a couple of times on the table and literally also, in a, much, like, uh, much like I said about Terraforming Mars, an embarrassingly large number of times on the mobile app. A game <laughs> ends and if you did well, you scored, we'll say, 350 points. And I've scored in excess of 600,000 points oh, in my geez. plays. So, do the math and don't tell me. 
Uh, I'm at a point now where I can get a game done in about, like, if I'm doing a solo, like one against computer, I can get uh-huh. it done in about 12 minutes, which this game is notorious <laughs> for being eight hours on the table. Eight hours. So, okay. if you have interest in learning through the ages, the mobile app's the way to go. And it's got a phenomenal tutorial that teaches you how to play. The game plays from, like, prehistoric, to, like, the very earliest times of civilization, all the way up through the modern era. And that includes all the trappings that you would expect. Leaders, wonders, technology technologies, military. It's all in there and it's all done through cards. The main, we'll say, mechanism that the game functions through is, is well, two things. One, the cards that you have that are going to give you your resources, your, your industry, your population growth, your science, that sort of thing. And then this river of cards at the top of the table. You have, at the start of the game, four actions in your turn. And they're kind of a currency in that the cards at the top, if, there's 13. So the first five, they only cost one action if you want to take one of them. The next four cost two actions. The final four cost three actions to take. Now, there are ways throughout play that you're going to get more, well, can potentially gain more uh, actions, developing civics or upgrading your government so that you have more actions to work with, thus being able to draw more cards from that river. But otherwise, it is kind of like a game of chicken where, okay, I don't want to take that card yet because I don't want to spend two actions on it. But if they take it with two actions, I might get sharked out of ever getting iron. Just a phenomenal back and forth. The game is remarkably strategic. Kind of like Barrage, where you can get in your own way, it's hard to learn how to play and learn how to play well. You can learn from that app and and function just fine. But to play well and understand every little nuance of the game, it's going to take time. You're going to have some games where you just don't do that well. And ideally, you're doing it on the app against computer and not against your buddies. As you learn the game and as you learn how to play better, it becomes very very rewarding when you're able to pull off these remarkably big turns or finish monuments at the end of the game. Some of the the final ones is uh, like space exploration, the internet, Hollywood, some of these uh, these wonders that you can develop. That they're basically end game scoring at that point. They can be so instrumental in just giving you boatloads of point. The leaders are all remarkably thematic, except for Bach, who I don't think. And I think Charlie Chaplin is – they're a couple of the leaders in the game. I'm like, really? Did Charlie Chaplin lead people? But the, the the point is they have like thematic leaders. Early on, Julius Caesar, uh, for example, as a militaristic style leader. Later in the game, you'll find uh, Napoleon, for example, would be a militaristic. And then, oh, who's the – Oh, they'll fight our armies on the Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah. Uh, is, is one of the leaders in the end. And, and it makes sense. Uh, they have ones that are culture based, and that tends to be the, the theatrics, your Bach and your, and your chaplain. It's all thematic. You can win in a number of ways. You can go military. And you can win this game. Some people think, oh, well, you know, it's just whoever goes military wins. No, they're at the, not to drop a Western Pennsylvania term, but hogwash. It's just not true. <laughs> if you lose because you got out military, then you didn't play a very good game. It's something that you have to learn how to adjust to and keep up with next time. You can go culture. You can go military. You can go sciences. You can go, I'm going to go with uh, developing my government as quick as possible and win in the action card economy. You can explore in the military deck where you're drawing your military cards from. There's also exploration cards. You're seeding events every round, every turn that someone plays an event. An old, previously played event will finally come to fruition and reveal itself. Sometimes it's exploring. Players have to bid troops to claim that, that colony for their civilization. Just a fantastic game. I don't – you've never played Through the Ages, have you, Scott? No, I have not. And that's something that I need to change. Uh, I know you wax poetic on it every time that you talk about it. And it's definitely one that I need to try sometime. 
I know I, I've, I've shown some folks on BGA and it's been a bust. You know, they're like, nah, it's just not for me. Right. So, I'm sure this, this is a... This is a very specific to Pat's flavor kind of game, but it was at one point number two on BGG. So it, it, mm-hmm. it can't just be like, oh, Pat's hyping up a game that he loves. This is a universally mostly loved game that to me, it still is one of the best. And that's why it's number two through the ages, a new story of civilization. Good, 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 good. We've come to that point. Okay. We're on the edges of our collective seats. We want to hear the number one game of all time for King Scott. Well, if my one old friend Jeff Atkinson is listening to this, I know the words that would come out of his mouth is Crimson Skies is dead. But in my mind, Crimson Skies is one of my favorite games of all time. Well, no, you're literally putting it number one. So it is yes. your favorite game. Yes. It's, it's this definitive game now. here was – this isn't <laughs> the old a miniatures game. This is the Heroclix version of Crimson Skies. Okay. This was a game that came out and it was such a great – what do I want to say here? Great story behind it where the U.S. went in different directions and the U.S. is split up in different colonies and different districts throughout the world. And the whole idea now is after the Civil War, it broke up. All this stuff is going on with moonshiners running alcohol, running guns, running uh, different goods across the lines to different countries in huge zeppelins, in these modified planes and modified biplanes. Such an amazing story behind this. This was a game that you had the little planes, which were really cool. And they look cool. Oh, they were. And you had to figure out how high they were flying, how fast they were flying, what the damage is it's going to be doing. This was kind of a precursor to X-Wing, where you had little hexagons that you put out where you were going to be going. You would have to play down a card and say, this is the direction I'm going. You would fight. You would have dogfights that were going on and all these crazy weapons that would come out. This was a world that was so built out and, and fleshed out from Jordan Weissman, who came up with it to begin with. There were mm-hmm. novels out of this. There was an Xbox video game. I had to buy an Xbox just to get this video game. They had a soundtrack to the video game. I got the soundtrack to the video game. Everything Wait, about it wasn't this. part of the game. It was a separate, like like you bought a CD that was the soundtrack yes. for Crimson Skies. Yes. Wow. I bought that separately. <laughs> they had a huge forum on the WizKids site, and we were fighting to be like they had battle masters and things like that for BattleTech and all these different names for judges. And we fought. We wanted to be air wardens for Crimson Skies, but they never went that far with it. And we came up with a bunch of people put in like different scenarios you could play with this game. There was like a, a booklet that they made up of like a hundred different scenarios. I have like three or four of them in there. This was just such a fantastic game. So thematic. There was one game where it was it was basically like you had to fly uh, 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 Gaslands, 
where you had yeah. to drive around through the different gates. Well, this one here, mm-hmm. you had to fly through different gates, and there would be a flaming loop that you had to fly through. But if you flew through the wrong direction, you would get damaged from do- flying through there. So many crazy things, and the characters were built up so well. The stories, the short stories that they came out in the different novels for it were absolutely fantastic. Everything completely surrounding this game, I absolutely adore. I had everything they possibly had for this. I even had the trading cards with like the pinup models that you could give out. I gave out a bunch of those as like prizes for the games that we would run. Uh I'm just talking about it now. I still have all the stuff. It's still in one box, all there, everything. I got to pull this thing out and, and introduce some more people to this game again. It was just that good, that much fun. Crimson Skies whew, absolutely blows it out of the water. This was a game that I lived and breathed for a period of time there. Scott, I got to tell you, I did not think that your number one game was going to be a 2003 game with a rating of 6.1, overall ranked 7,859. Dude, it looks charming. I will give you that. I can tell. I can hear in your voice. This this is back when you owned the comic shop. Oh no, this and was I can before just that. You. Oh yeah, I could just see you and Atkinson playing this game hours into the we into the wee hours of the evening, just having a blast. Oh, we had a huge. Uh, I mean, we had a a nice large group of people playing this game. Oh, just so much fun. So many fun memories. And it was one of those games that just broke the whole outside seal of the game itself and became a whole multimedia thing with the video games and the music and the novels. Everything about it was just absolutely fantastic. And I was just wanted to live in that world there. It was so much fun. Absolutely adore Crimson Skies. Well, long-time listeners of the show probably know what to expect if this is your very first episode. First of all, welcome and uh, enjoy the rest of episode 100 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My number one game of all time, Scott? Twilight Imperium, I'm gonna guess. Yes, it's Twilight Imperium 4th <laughs> Edition. And it's not just my favorite game of all time, it is your favorite game of all time. It is everyone's – it is the best game of all time. <laughs> everyone's. If you're listening and you haven't played it yet, guess what? It's your favorite game of all time. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. This is a Christian T. Peterson Fantasy Flight game where there are 24 – with the expansion – 24 different factions that you can choose from. Six people – well – it's two to eight with the expand. You know, we're just going to say I'm going to be talking with expansion. The game's okay. fine without it, but I typically play with it. So anytime, anything that I describe is with the expansion. Right. You typically want to have five or six players. Six is ideal. You get that nice hexagon shaped board. There's no like warp lanes throughout. It, it's the perfect board. <laughs> You've got your faction. You are unique. You have unique abilities. You have unique ships. You've got your unique flagship. That's your big, this is our Death Star. This is our mega ship, right? And it has its own abilities. Everyone starts in their own hex. There's reason to want to claim the planet in the middle. So yes, this is an area control game, but it's not. And what I mean by that is when I describe Twilight Imperium to other people, I say, yes, on the game, you've got pieces of plastic, right? Think think there's uh, there are units on the board and they might come to fisticuffs with the other players. Make no mistake, this is not space risk. This is a politicking game where 
the vast majority of the game happens above the table. Scott, every now and then I'll say, oh, I love this game for the game above the table. And what I mean by that is the negotiating, the bickering, the the bargaining with other players, the back and forth, the trading, the things that don't explicitly state like, okay, right now it's your turn. You can do an action or you can move over here or you can pick a fight. Well, that's true. But you know what? I can also offer one of, one of these cards to him in exchange for him to retreat and go that way. And that's perfectly fair. The game has a voting phase where at the end of a round, two new agendas are going to be revealed and players collectively are going to vote on which of those rules they want to see incorporated moving forward. Sometimes it's very simple and it's like, you know what, everywhere that people have more than one infantry, kill them all and keep just one. And then sometimes it's, you need to elect a minister of peace. This player can no longer, I, I don't remember what the card is, can no longer be attacked. You, you, that's huge. You have to literally cast your votes towards and now. It's not just like it comes to me and I cast my votes. No, it comes to me and maybe my votes are for sale. What do you I'll vote for you. What are you going to do for me? <laughs> oh, that's game above the table. It's also when I say it's not space risk. It's a game where you want to have the big fleet, but you don't want to use it because the moment you do, it's like mutually assured destruction for you and the other player and you're instantly behind four other people. So you've got to be very very political, very uh, diplomatic in how you go about scoring your points, which is done primarily in in two ways, either a public objective or a secret objective. Secret objectives, there are cards that you can draw throughout play. They're, they're kind of, I don't want to say difficult to acquire, but there's an investment of either your one main action card or some resources to acquire a secret. And the secret could be something, something simple or something super cool. Take, destroy their greatest ship. And that means kill somebody else's flagship, anybody's. We don't care who. Mm -hmm. If you do it, flip this card up and be like, hey, look, I just scored a point. You only need 10 points to win. So every point is crucial. The public objectives, that's something that everybody can do. If at the end of this round, you control six planets, score a point. Oh, I did that. So you put your marker there and you move your marker up one. This is a notoriously long game. Mm -hmm. Six player games tend to range between six hours and 12 hours. With my groups, we typically go, I want to say around eight hours. Now, our most recent play was when Ryan came out this way. So Ryan got to play Twilight Imperium with us. It was so much fun. You'll recall he was talking about on the show, he said, this game is absurdly good. I'm so happy to hear that he loved it. Uh, We didn't actually get to finish our game. We did not make it to the end. He had to drive back to Jersey. Long drive. So somewhere around six o'clock, we're like, okay, this is the last round. We probably would have concluded in another round, so I would guess another hour, hour and a half. But at that point, with the teach, we had been going for like seven and a half, maybe eight. That was a particularly long game for my group. So we've all played enough now that we can hammer it out a bit quicker. Listen, I could go on and on and on, but you can go back to, I think it's episode 10, where we review it. And heck, you can listen to a podcast that is in, that is devoted entirely just to this game, Space Cats, Peace Turtles. Uh, it's a it's a show that, that that's what they do. Every episode, they're talking about a different faction, different technologies, different strategies, different event cards that might come up, different scorecards that might come up. They have over 300 episodes. Wait a minute, Pat. That means this game's going to be super duper complex. Nope. <laughs> Scott, by the end of your first play, you knew how to play this game. Oh, yeah. By the end of Ryan's first play, he knew how to play this game. It is not that complex. And though the teach is long, within one round, you have seen almost everything there is to see. There are just subtleties and nuances like, wait, what's bombardment mean again? Little things like that mm-hmm. come up. 
In any event, it is my favorite game and the best game of all time, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Scott, what do you say we do a little recap? All right, so to recap, King Scott's top 10 of all time, number 10, Seven Wonders, number 9, Tapestry, number 8, Res Arcana, number 7, Carcassonne, number 6, Star Wars Armada, number 5, Ticket to Ride, number 4, Terraforming Mars, number 3, Obsession, number 2, Dune Imperium, and number 1, Crimson Skies. All right, and for me, we got number 10, Gloomhaven, number 9, Wonderland's War, number 8, Ark Nova, number 7, Beyond the Sun, number 6, Barrage, number 5, Return to Dark Tower, number 4, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System, number 3, Obsession, number 2, Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization, and number 1, Twilight Imperium, 4th Edition. Scott, this has been fantastic. 100 in and I can't wait to keep going. What what a blast. I know. It it has been a lot of fun. It's been fun hearing our top 10 games and how much they're different, but our passion about the games is still that high. And we'd be remiss if if I didn't mention on behalf of Scott and myself a huge heartfelt thank you not only to our contributors, not only to the publishers that have helped us out, obviously to our families for letting us be nerds for hours <laughs> every week, but to you, dear adventurer, we would not be doing this if it wasn't for adventurers listening. We don't ask for money. We don't ask for donations, anything like that. That's not what we're in this for. We're in this because we want to know that people care and it's so wonderful to have the outpouring of folks that are listening and corresponding with us and responding to pictures and liking things that we put up and meeting us at conventions, coming to the meetups, seeing us at, uh, at PGX Con and whatnot. It's It's been so wonderful and so rewarding, not because of any single game that we've been able to play. It's not been because of any single publisher that we've been able to meet or play with. It's been because of all of you and, and the outpouring of support from the community and, and the friendships that we've established. Thank you so much. I second what he said there. And uh, I got to say, Patrick, I think that is a very good final word for the show. Hey, you're giving me the last word. Oh, it took a hundred episodes, but I got the last word. Yep, now then, it's time to go back to number one. Oh, well, granted, with a one and a zero before, but uh, back to number one again. Until next time, adventurers and Scott, I'll see you this weekend. Take care, y'all. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.